Greetings one and all and welcome to episode 15 of the Puri Puri podcast. This is going to be the third and final instalment of our Pride Fighting Championship retrospective. With me, as always, we have Daniel and David Forrest. Hello. Hello. I'm hoping that this will be, um, uh, much like the Godfather trilogy, uh, the third one will be the best. Uh, well, we're we're far away now that we've got today. Perhaps, (laughs) yes, indeed. Who is going? I have I have in mind one person who is going to be the Sophia Coppola of this uh, episode. (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll get we'll get to him in a bit. Um, So, um, uh, how we all how we all doing? We've uh, actually managed to um, see each other. Not all three of us together. That has still never actually happened IRL. But we've seen each other in uh, various combinations. Yeah, we're not allowed to all be together. What do you mean? We're going, to, uh, we're going to see each other next week when we take up our panel at the All In Starcast <laughs> convention. I'm actually in. I'm actually in a match, so I can't do that. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm doing a jam session with the Young Bucks. Dad. Ju- I mean, the thing is, <laughs> that's actually happening. By the way, that's actually a fucking amazing. Yeah. The, the 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 problem is, to the best of my knowledge, we've all had sex before, and so like, I don't think that we're. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're necessarily going to fit in. Um, that's, that's, that's true. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, they were. I was listening to uh, the virtual pros are running through the the. You can buy it on Fight TV. You can buy like a, a a season pass for like all of the events, like the pre-show events and all that. Um, was it Marty Skrull leading a karaoke session with Bullet Club fans? I mean, uh, you you have to. There's two karaoke sessions actually. There's two, but Marty Skrull is running a karaoke session on like Thursday night. Have I have I have uh, I missed out on the? Is because uh, in my mind, um, it, it, uh, the, the ideal person to lead that would have been a uh, Drew Gulak, because uh, he's the he's famously known for um UK shows ending up in um dodgy um pubs uh singing or watching or critiquing karaoke. Um, I was going to say, I hope he takes karaoke as seriously as he takes pro wrestling. That would be fantastic. Well, I can, um, I can assure Paul, you he does. My, my favourite karaoke wrestler uh, is Paul London. You may remember that great Preston City wrestling oh, yes. battle royal where yeah. he fucked his shoulder and then just left and then just went and sat in the pub and did karaoke for like 20 minutes on Facebook Live <laughs> and then came back and got eliminated. I mean, if it was true PCW, he'd have uh, left the match and like um, menaced some 15-year-old for uh, making bootleg <laughs> TV. A 12-year-old kid. <laughs> the pirate and DVDs on the internet. But, uh, with, with, oh, inexplicably, Chris Masters in tow. The American Adonis himself. I'm so upset that video is gone. It's so funny. <laughs> it, it's up. It's up there with um, a succulent Chinese meal, as far as I'm concerned. Um. So, what, what is my crime? <laughs> Illegally pirating Preston City Wrestling DVD? I see you know your intimidation of doorsteps well. <laughs> this is Indie Wrestling Manifest. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we've... Uh, so, um, Daniel and I saw each other in... Because uh, Daniel's um, at the time of recording back in the UK uh, for a month. And um, we're... Yeah, this is our busy period. This is going to be our busy period. We absolutely yeah, hammered we all more than one episode, maybe. Yeah, we're we're planning to record another one uh, uh, tomorrow night. Actually, it's not going to quite measure up to the um, uh, afternoon where we recorded episodes four to seven in a single stint, and then had to re-record part of one of them. That kept us going for about uh, six months of output. Uh, so we're hoping to get uh, something like that to, um, going. And um, I'm off to see. Um, 
obviously, David, in a couple of uh, weeks, we're going to go to a uh, bit of a uh, bit of the football. Um, main, main event being, of course, Dumbarton versus Montrose. And also there's a Scotland match as well. But like uh, mostly it's about uh, Dumbarton versus Montrose. And who's, who's, who's likely to go over? Yeah, like, oh, God. I mean, we, we've seen the Diddy Cups promo from Dumbarton. It is in the actual Diddy Cup that that promo was for. So surely Dumbarton have to go over. I love how he's completely glossing over the fact that me and Daniel met and he's just trying to get this train <laughs> off the track. Oh, shit, you did, didn't we, you? We yeah, didn't yeah, only yeah. meet. We, we, we went uh, for for pints and yes. um, in in the most um, English place that has ever existed, which is a Weatherspoons outside the train station. <laughs> yeah, you met my sister and my sister found out I do a wrestling podcast. Not <laughs> other no other details are mentioned. Vague, <laughs> but no, there was no need to go into too much detail. She's a normal functioning human being with a social life. Yeah, an hour and a half in, we'd mentioned the podcast at six times. She just started goes, do you do a podcast, David? I'm like, yeah. And I said, oh, you should like me to that. I went, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. It's, we uh, have four listeners already, thank you very much. Yep. And we're kind of, yeah, we're kind of going for that under five vibe. <laughs> Right I, I I saw I saw I saw a tweet today which it was just said hey it's every podcast I listen to and it was just the um the little insert the between scenes insert from Frasier which just uh, says just a couple of white guys sitting around talking. Well, <laughs> if if that's what you came here for, then strap yourselves in, guys. Well, actually, but like no, it's it's it's, it's a deluxe version because we've got three white guys. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David, you're Scottish, so you're especially white. You're white enough for two people. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm at burn like a fried egg in the sun. So yeah, I'm whiter than white. I am. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. whiter than Eugene Terebonge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Oh, it's an excellent deep cut there for all you fans of uh, of, of organised violent racism. <laughs> probably, probably Whatever key demographics. Yep. Yeah. Probably my favourite example of nominative determinism is like Eugene Terblanche. Like, not <laughs> there isn't a single part of his name that isn't about white supremacy. True. Um, like, and in fairness, very little of his life which wasn't. So. <laughs> yeah. No. No. That that is true. He. Um, yes. Awful human being. He was being. a shit. Yes. He was a rotten shit. Yeah. Again, if the if the PC police want to come and get us, but yeah. like, I hate Eugene Terblanche and his Afrikaner <laughs> nationalism. Yeah. Come out as SJWs. <laughs> So, um, so uh, what we have for you today is um, um, three further uh, Pride Fighting Championship fights and one sort of uh, bonus feature, which we'll uh, get to. And uh, we are now uh, forward as far as uh, 2004. And we're really getting into a point in which uh, MMA uh, is developing more and more into a, a fighting discipline in itself. It's less about the... Uh, the pub fight argument of, hey, who would win between a boxer and a sumo? Let's find out. And more as like, if, if you're not really skilled in, you know, virtually all aspects of hand-to-hand combat, you are you are not going to do uh, very well. And even in uh, Pride, which, you know, still had the uh, sort of freak show element, and certainly the second fight we uh, discuss in this episode. Oh, we'll come to that. Has, oh, we? yeah. Has that about it. But... We're getting towards uh, the time where there are actually some really, not just some really entertaining fights in the promotion, but some great technical contests 
as well. And um, the first one of these, I would say, sort of is, is a nice sort of um, halfway house between like the technique and the the fucking no holds barred slugfest type stuff that we saw um, in the uh, Krokopov Chanchin fight that we uh, covered in the last episode. Or rather, the last episode where we we weren't talking about like football or some shit like that. So um, our first fight of this episode is the thirty first of October two thousand and four. It is uh, Wanderlei Silva with a professional record of twenty six wins, three losses, and one no contest against uh, Quinton Rampage Jackson with a professional record of twenty one wins and four losses. So both real high end fighters. Just um, can you can you give him his correct uh, just to give him his correct title? That would be TNA TNA's Rampage Quinton Jackson. <laughs> Do do you remember that um, when they were building up this guy, uh, August the first warning, and it turned out to be Tito Ortiz, and he yeah, just he just stood at the top of the map no with his arms folded, and like the best part, like the best thing Ken Kennedy ever did in his entire career was just when Tito Ortiz came out and he just stood there scratching his head and looking like he did not give the tiniest shit. Uh, it was, oh, was that the one? So bad. Was that where uh, when Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson had their first encounter? Oh. Tito Ortiz hit Rampage Jackson with a hammer. I seem to remember it, like there was some sort of hammer used um, at some point when when Tito Ortiz joined Aces and Eights. Do you remember? That's right. That? Yes. Aces and I. I will actually say that Aces and Eights was quite good at times. Like and I, I, I enjoyed Aces and Eights, even though like nobody else did. Yeah, no, I, it was to be honest, it's not even in the top fucking twenty stupid faction storylines that TNA has uh, served no. up in its uh, in its time. It, um, that, it go on forever though. <laughs> oh yes, it did. Um, but it was quite impressive the way they like after Bully Ray was um, revealed as the leader. Um, they actually did this video where he sort of recapped the whole thing and they actually did it and like this is one of the greatest videos of all time because if you watch the video it looks as if the storyline like was cogent and made sense and it really wasn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, a masterpiece they did well. of editing um, so um, also uh, Quinton Rampage Jackson you may know uh, as um, uh, Mr. T um, in the uh, the A-Team remake Oh, I uh, forgot he, he did that role, uh, taking over the um, role from uh, the uh, rapper Bumpy Knuckles, as we all know from the uh, video for John Cena's Bad Bad Man. <laughs> That's true. A genuinely good rap song, I might add. Well, well, uh, what was it? Um, there was, there's loads. Um, I've seen loads of people um, posting pictures of um, of uh, I don't know if they're photoshopped or not, but like the uh, uh, pictures of John Cena just next to like really famous rappers. Uh, with the quote, like one of the greatest rappers of all time, and like, <laughs> uh, excellent. The name of the rapper. <laughs> yeah. It's a genre of joke that I'm a, a big fan of. So, um, uh, this is the second fight between them. Um, yeah. Pride was Pride was uh, arguably as good at uh, bringing every last drop from um, high-profile rivalries as uh, current uh, WWE was. Although, unlike current WWE, it uh, doesn't get to the point where. You know, where, where, for example, AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura is announced, you're like, enough of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I really I really enjoyed this match. It wasn't as much as their, their fourth one in Bellator where they both just kicked each other in the nuts and went to a double <laughs> count out. But, you know. <laughs> there, there was a nut kick at the start of this, actually. Again, very much like AJ Styles and Shinsuke, Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> yeah, that is that that is true, actually. There was there was a blow to the nuts, like, really early on in this. Like, there was a sort of early clinch. And yeah, then, yeah uh, there is. And then Silver 
got what I assume was an unintentional blow to the nose. This is Pride, so you can never uh, particularly be sure. You can uh, tell really early on in this fight that after the initial flurries of punches, um, Wanderlei Silva is an incredibly talented martial artist. Yes. Like, his uh, high kick attempts are so like good. Background on him, maybe. Please, please do actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we've we've gone over uh, Quinton Jackson's uh, movie slash uh, Impact Wrestling career, but yeah, with a Wanderlei Silver, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Was it so, what, possibly the greatest theme tune in MMA? Uh, the greatest, the greatest theme tune. Um, one of the best heads. Um, yeah. I think ever. Ever. What do you call the back of that? Just is there a technical, like a, a scientific name for the back of the head? Like right uh, at the back. The dome, mm. the dome at the top. Is that not a crown at the top? Oh, crown. Well, whatever it is at the back. Uh, he uh, just bear yeah. in mind, This is a man who's got um, a shaved head and um, is um, has the ultimate symbol of mid two thousands hardness, which is to have a tattoo on the back of the head, right? which is one of the hardest. That that singles you out right away aesthetically as um, an absolute head the ball. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, Ram. Uh, at the time, um, Silva was pretty much being promoted as this um, kind of semi, um, like almost mystically unbeatable, um, like um, uh, middleweight uh, who was on this like you know enormous streak of um, of um, finishing people, um, and was really one of the biggest stars in in, in Pride at this point. Now, as we'll see in um, another um, of the fights here, um, uh, Silva's background is quite important because um, he was pretty much emblematic um, of the um, style um, coming out of the tube box gym. In Brazil, um, which along with Brazilian top team, um, uh, basically contributed to one of the first like team feuds in in MMA, um, really, um, sort of um, 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 because they were really, um, really sort of um, um, closely related, but also quite bitter rivals. Those two, um, those two schools, and they had quite different styles as well. So fittingly, for someone who has not just the best head, the best theme music, um, but also the best nickname. Uh, in all, possibly all of um, of martial arts in general, if you want an idea about how a person fights, sometimes the nickname doesn't really sum it up, right? So Frankie the Answer Edgar, it's a bit more enigmatic. It's a little bit more esoteric. It's a little bit more, you know, um, maybe referencing stuff outside of, um, like, you know, it's referencing intelligence, that kind of thing. Vanderlei Silva's nickname is the Axe Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the Axe Murderer. <laughs> like, yeah, and it really reflects the shootbox style, which, um, as the name would suggest, is based around not only um, grappling um, 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 and striking, um, but also trying to kind of an, uh, uh, from a fairly, a fairly early stage in the development of mixed martial arts, trying to combine both of those things. So you get people that are pretty strong in both departments, but what's most notable and catches your eye the most is that it's an incredibly pressing forward, um, sort of pressurized, um, um, quite exciting style, which um, borrows a lot from Muay Thai striking. Um, and Vandalai Silva um, um, really embodied that um, at the time for people. He was the quintessential shootbox um, fighter. Um, and um, as we've just sort of mentioned there, in this fight, um, that actually um, manifests itself in a lot of his clinch work. And um, um, I'll come back to this later on, but this is really a fight that's about knees <laughs> as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's Vandalai, just a quick um, introduction. Considered to be an MMA legend, um, I'm responsible for getting an awful lot of people into the sport. Um, I'm one of the really the first stars um, of, of the sport in that um, sort of um, transition through being um, a more codified, um, uh, unified um, understanding of what the actual sport was about. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's um, Vandalay. 
Um, and then we've touched on um, Quentin Jackson as well. But, um, but I think most um, most fans listening to this will probably be aware of Quentin Jackson, even if it is just through his occasional appearance, appearances in wrestling and, and film and TV. Uh, but um, he was a very talented um, wrestler, American wrestler, um, um, at, at sort of um, um, college level and those kind of things. Um, and as well as that, uh, someone that... Um, even though he perhaps wasn't as sophisticated in his striking as Vanderlei, had enough power uh, certainly to be able to worry um, people at that weight class at the time. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's just a bit of background on, on both. Of I, 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 th- I thought you were going to say about uh, Vanderlei Silva is sort of always uh, pushing forward and pressing, uh, and thought like obviously uh, hugely influenced by uh, Jurgen Klopp's uh, Borussia Dortmund team. Yeah, yeah, it's Gagan pressing, <laughs> is what it is. Um, is that what it's called? Gagan and Preston? Gagan and Preston, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Gagan and Preston, yeah. Uh, Rampage Jackson, responsible for one of the most iconic um, single moves in uh, yeah. MMA history. Who was yeah. this This against? He basically, so you, you listen, this is a fucking wrestling podcast. You'll know what a powerbomb is. Um, imagine <laughs> a guy doing that in an actual fight to a human being, because Rampage Jackson did that. Just picked up a guy by the waist and fucked him into fucking the ground. Fucking tried it in this. Uh, he tried. Yeah. He tried to do it in this. It didn't. It didn't work. Yeah. But he, was yeah, it his he, finisher? He like what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. Um. It, it, it. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, is that like you know, I guess um, you know, for for all that we laugh about it, that is literally where the power bomb comes from, right? You know, like um, it is um, it is absolutely a legitimate thing um within um forms of um of wrestling to just to slam yeah. your opponent yeah. like that, you know. So even though it doesn't lit. It doesn't look anywhere near as kind of like fluid, um, and it comes out of a totally different starting position. Um, you know, from a clinch, it's like if you're strong enough, like it's it's not a bad way to do, to get yourself out of something. You know, if- that's very fair, Daniel. But what I take umbrage to is when Silva and Jackson repeated that uh, triple suplex spot from Eddie Edwards yeah. and David Richards in yeah. ROH. Man, I thought, I thought, I mean, that, I on, thought that was taking liberties. To be honest, have, uh, have you have you ever seen like the uh, video of this? Um, I think it's this, a school in the UK. There's this like somewhat rotund lad getting picked on by these uh by these bullies and oh, like yeah. he just snaps and like just picks whatever of them power bombs them into concrete it's really good it's absolutely really good. brilliant and very deserved as well i must yeah uh, yeah that child was... had a family yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um like, so yeah uh, so it, it was again it was ricardo arona um that it was against um ah, was, yes. uh, by the way which is um quite interesting because ricardo arona was one of the um key protagonists um in the um the uh shoot box um, and brazilian top team rivalry because he was a member of brazilian top team so okay cool so um getting into the uh getting into the fight we talked about the sort of uh somewhat frenetic start with a big uh punch attempts and then some fucking huge haymakers from uh Vanderlei Silva um Jack Jack yeah it's yeah it's just like a f- fucking See, the yeah. thing for me with this is that he's got your mad batshit bodies right and they're yeah. incredible and the people launching shots everywhere but it's a whole different league it, and it kind of tested what you were saying before about how the the sport has evolved because Unlike with Fry Takiyama, where they're just like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and just launching fists at each other just to see what hits. Yeah. You could clearly see that there was a motive behind each shot. Like, yes. you know, so it wasn't as aimless. Like, you could see that, you know, it was very fast and frenetic, but every shot had a purpose and a reason behind it. You you could clearly see that there was a lot more motivation. They weren't just wildly flailing at each other. There was a reason why every shot was done. And it shows that evolution kind of, you know, Exhibit A right there of the the change in the sport between Fry Takayama, for example, and this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. 
and and it also shows the um that the um you know people are actually um like there's there's some quite sophisticated defensive tactics in this and defensive yeah. in it as well like um um uh, rampage in particular and I forgot about this after I mean I've seen this fight quite a few times before but I hadn't watched it for a while um and yeah I completely forgot that there's um I'm, you know Vanderlei is a pretty um a pinpoint striker at this point in his uh, career and like um some of um uh, uh, Jackson's work um with his hands just making sure they're in the right place to defend things and block things um is actually pretty pretty high level actually like uh, for MMA at the time. Like, yeah, definitely, and especially about Silva. See, like in the, in the start of the in the first round, in the early going after the kind of flurry came on, uh, Silva's defended from the bottom quite a bit, and he, mm. he defended really well um, mm. until obviously you know all kind of spiraled out of control. But yeah, he, he there was re- some really really good defense going on there. Well, not just mm. um, defense in terms of uh, your guard, but also Silva's head movement when uh, yeah. Jackson gets in the mount. Like he's yeah. very good at dodging those. Uh, punches and uh in the the pride rules you have a certainly a uh, bigger choice of angles from which, which to uh punch someone if you want to bring your fists straight down like fucking khrushchev at the un then like oh, you can uh, <laughs> then you, you can do it um toward, actually like quite early on in the fight um jackson takes silver down to the ropes and silver clongs his head on one it can be very dangerous actually if you think mm. of um what happened to uh Pero Aguayo jr um yeah yeah and uh, really like uh, bounce your head around, you know. Yeah, because like, they're, you know, they're, they're, it, it's not, it's not fucking like, you know, it's not elastic. Um, oh, and uh, um, yeah. Jackson gets cut um, somehow in the middle of all this. They have a timeout as they get to cleaned up. Some blood also goes on silver, which, um, yeah. uh, which, which, I'm, I'm good. Can we just take a minute to talk about the, the brilliant, the brilliant, like, uh, uh, kind of madness of the Pride rules, which is that there's no problem kicking someone square in the face. With your shin in a soccer kick, there's absolutely no problem with being completely out of your face on opioids or having <laughs> so many steroids yeah, that you're like... at risk of a heart attack every time you go for a jog. But if there's a cut that's too dangerous, oh, it's serious, and we might have to stop the fight, guys. And this, like, this ruined, um, uh, famously ruined uh, one of the Nogueira Fedor uh, trilogy of fights as well. Um, yeah, you know, uh, so yeah, it's just quite funny. They're very, very serious um, in Pride about making sure that. Um, Cuts are seen to that, that they think are too serious quite early on. You get some weird decisions on that. In, Spe- speaking like, of weird decisions, I wondered if you were talking about the Pride rules. So, so Jackson gets cut, and um, and then they resume with Jackson in the dominant position. Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not here. Like, is it? Yeah, uh, we'd have to look into this. But it, was it was it actually specifically written into the Pride rules that they have to do that, or is that like a? A um a really uh just strange decision by the the ref uh, I couldn't remember. I I didn't know whether call him as refereeing this fight. <laughs> <laughs> I got a um. Oh, oh, sorry, that just just to go back to the start, I've just missed a couple of things. That when you said that about sort of um stuff that's to do with the, the surrounding the fight, uh, uh, you know, and people that aren't the fighters. Did anyone notice um that um you know while he was in his corner, by the way, with one of the coolest, most genuinely relaxed expressions I've ever seen on a fighter's face. Just like completely at ease. Uh, Rampage um, um, was actually being cornered by um, Desperate Dan. <laughs> <laughs> if Desperate Dan kind of looked like he was dressed entirely out of Guy Fieri's wardrobe and had borrowed his hair down. <laughs> so, Brian Christopher, then, that's too soon. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, but that's like. I mean, was that what, it, was that what the tag team was originally called? Did you know it was too much and then too cool? Was it too soon? <laughs> <laughs> 
good. R.I.P. Love you. Yeah, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of refs, I uh, started a VAR chant at the wrestling um, uh, <laughs> quite quite recently, so that was uh, so that that was good. There's uh, yeah. So we've talked about the uh, uh, great defense. Actually, after Silver's, uh, you know, he does this uh, sort of almost Muhammad Ali style head movement. Only he's uh, on the ground while he's doing it. Um, uh, nails Jackson with uh, a heel strike. Uh, sort of a few minutes left in the round and uh, landing little punches to the uh, side of the head. Um, yeah, then, yeah. then the ref decides he's uh, seen enough of uh, of this and calls for a standoff. And both men get the yellow card for some reason. Fucking Graham Pole over here. I've seen, I've seen them, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> this is like I think you said I've seen them given every single time we've described someone getting a yellow card. Ah, uh, soft. That's soft. Stonewaller. Soft to me, Gary. Used to be a man's game. Yeah. <laughs> headphones. They're all headphones. They're all head- oh, I'm just waiting for the penalty kick. Oh, um, so, uh, <laughs> yes. So, um, un- unlike uh, unlike um, uh, Jack Whitehall, uh, Silver does very well in stand-up. Uh, there's some uh, nice combinations. <laughs> And uh, Jackson checks a knee, then uh, rushes forward, a little bit of a gig and pressing of his own, and uh, yeah, knocks Silver over with press. a punch into the mount, and um, really thrilling end to the uh, to the round yeah. as well. Silver with a triangle attempt, and uh, Jackson gets out of it. He's la- landing some great shots as the bell goes. Like that's what you really want to get the crowd's danders up um, at the end of the first round. <laughs> the crowd's what? Dander. Dander. D- oh, Dan, da- Dan- in the crowd's danger up. And I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> it's like the it's like the character in um, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine called uh, uh, I think his name is Jack Danger. Uh-huh. Yes, like said, it's actually pronounced Donger. Highest of bouquet. So um, yeah, second round begins as the first round uh, um, did with. Uh, uh, massive slugfest. Um, it's a bigger slugfest than the um, Progress uh, annual AGM. <laughs> and you can take this to mean the think tank or the professional wrestling promotion. Or the professional be, wrestling association. Let's be yeah. honest. Um, let's be honest. <laughs> I wonder what the crossover is between members of the UK's leading Blairite um, uh, inner party pressure group. And, put, it, uh, put it this way. The, mi- the middle bit of the Venn diagram is like Goatsy's arsehole. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, let's let's hope it doesn't get too large then. Uh, um, uh, Jackson somehow survives a high knee to the head. Um, getting, don't know yeah. how the fuck Silver pulled that off. Like just the the level of oh. strikes and like all the different ways in which he manages to execute them is absolutely yeah. something to behold. He was he was um, he was famous um, for um, um, at this point for um, how dangerous he was with um, knees in particular. Um, yeah. finished quite a few of his fights um, with uh, with knees. And that, um, like, it was like I said before, this fight is in many ways kind of about knees in a lot of ways because um, the clinches here are, and this is the kind of shootbox style again, is that the, in the clinch, like, Silver just, like, constantly is, is throwing stuff. It's, it's always, like, work. Um, it's a really active style, and he just wears people down. You can see from the start, he'll get in a knee wherever he can. Uh, and it's why Thai influence fighters are so irritating to fight because they will just try and get a knee or an elbow or anything in whenever they can. And those high knees that he does when he comes out of the clinch, like they're really tricky things to pull off because if you come back to your stance unevenly after that, you'd be out of your, you're out of shape and you're opening yourself up completely. 
Um, I would argue uh, the the best high knees in combat sports since uh, Bruce Beefcake dropped a booty man gimmick. <laughs> I thought you, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say something like the some like real like the best high knees in sports entertainment since like Stacey Keebler or some King style comment. <laughs> 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 and um, there's, there's a really funny moment actually uh, um, quite near the start of the second round in which um, Jackson gets the takedown and Silver turns it over and then like uh, they're in the ropes so they have to crawl over to the centre of the ring for the restart yeah. <laughs> and the crowd start laughing so the fucking fans know how fucking stupid the pride rules are yeah. for the supplicants uh, cat flap <laughs> look who's come crawling back <laughs> you know, I think the classic thing would have been to call attention to it <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine how tired you'd be after you've been like you've, you've gone like the preposterously like the 10 minute first round of pride and then all of a sudden you're in this like it's like you know situations like right lads come on just move yourselves all the way over here to the, like, the middle of the ring it's like mate seriously like do you know how tired i am because actually like t- towards the end towards the end of this match like there is a really fucking good uh spot so silver's landing some punches in the dominant position jackson's sort of edging towards the ropes and um silver because this is pride you can do whatever the fuck you want with your uh with your feet starts with some uh Stomps and uh, and uh, soccer kicks, but uh, Jackson picks the leg, and yeah. uh, and suddenly he's the one like going for a heel hook, which is yeah. like something I thought only happened in like you know Kurt Angle matches and yeah. uh, stuff <laughs> like that. I really like Silver's follow up when he put a whole bunch of coins in a sock and just whacked <laughs> Jackson over the head with it. Yeah. Can you swing a sack of doorknobs? Stay, stay stay tuned next week for their concession stand brawl, which is really good, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and um, they're into the clinch and separate some uh, leg kicks from Silver. Uh, people called uh, Silver not having the best uh, track record with uh, leg kicks. If you get uh, <laughs> <laughs> drift, um, oh, uh, and uh, Jackson uh, gets uh, stunned by some punches, and then as if to underline how good Silver was in the clinch, he just gets the knockout by just kneeing him in the clinch, which is really fantastic. Yeah, I'm always really happy that he gets the knee knockout on this because he's been looking for it the whole fight. And like, I, I almost get the feeling that like if he'd finished it any other way, would have been kind of annoyed. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like when you see, um, it's like when you see a, a, a like a sort of striker or something like that who hits a long volley, a long range effort about 25 yards, out, and it rattles the keeper, and you know he's trying to grab it and keeps it in for the rest of the game. Yeah. He spends it just hitting 25 yards <laughs> yes. to speak to the keeper yeah. and they hope that he'll score. It's like, yeah. I noticed this during the World Cup. There is always a point in, in like, high-stakes matches in which, like, a fullback who's never scored in his career tries to blue one in from 50 yards. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know what, what it is they're thinking, but someone always gets... You basically just described the, the entirety of Alexander Kolarov's career. <laughs> Alexander <laughs> loving the time of Kolarov. <laughs> there you go that's the best football nickname you'll ever hear shut it down he's from Serbia he'll fucking murder you <laughs> I mean yeah to, 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 for, for someone to knock someone out with a knee in the clinch is fantastic because you see so many fights where the knees in the clinch are a bit of a nuisance more than anything or at least you're trying to um, get them to get off you by sort of accumulated damage just a little nibble just a little nibble so um, to see him get the uh, knockout like that was uh, something to behold I thought this uh, I mean Jackson played his part as well he's really good but like to a large extent this was a showcase for uh, Silver and his incredible technique I thought this was a fantastic fight like go out of your way to watch it absolutely 
Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's one of the best fights ever um, uh, in terms of pure entertainment and spectacle. Um, and uh, yeah, it's um, one of the best uh, performances of Vanderlei's career, pretty much. And uh, yeah, as I say, this is him at his his peak, really. So um, yeah, if you if you're if you're getting it with MMA, uh, you know, for the first time, you need to see this fight. It's it's one of the most famous um, that ever took place in Pride, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, our our next um our next um fight also. Speaking of incredible MMA fights, that yeah. have go down in history. In history. Ten fights. A- absolutely, yeah. like um. So this fight is the thirty um, first of December two thousand and four. If you know about Japanese culture, you may know that um, New Year is a really big thing in Japan. It's uh, it's basically their equivalent of Christmas, although they do celebrate uh, Christmas as well as a sort of uh, secular thing where they all go and eat KFC for some reason. Um, Sounds pretty so, good. Like. There's lots of sh- yeah. There's lots of shit going on on New Year New Year's Eve, and um, uh, generally there's an MMA show uh, nowadays. Rising have been uh, have been doing them <laughs> we, to uh, great acclaim. We, we we get the Hooter nanny. <laughs> they get Rising. Yeah, but I think it's fair to I think it's fair to say who is the uh, the clearly superior uh, uh, country. Well, unlike don't, unlike don't the worry, don't worry, guys. Uh, when we come on to one of our later matches, I've got a ton of New Year jokes <laughs> ready to go. Well, uh, <laughs> unlike the Hootenanny, this match wasn't taped in mid-November, and everyone's just trying to pretend they're having a good time. And Sanjeev Bhaskar's not there, having to mouth lyrics he doesn't know. <laughs> He's always on it. I always notice that every year, Sanjeev Bhaskar, every year. Every year. Oh, love the Hootenanny. <laughs> you know how I did see in the audience here, though? I seen that guy who has a clock for a face. He was just in the second row at the Pride Shockwave. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> He's my we... favourite clock face person. I think we need to say a uh, boo to Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> We're better than Not that. Not doing that. Fucking hell, there's so much. There's actually one, one of my favourite ever um, letters to Viz uh, was in the top tip section, and uh, it just said, <laughs> Bands. Don't have a piano player. Go on later with Jules Holland, and you'll get one whether you want one or not. <laughs> so one of my favourite ever things about um, the fall was that oh. um, uh, they they were asked to appear on later than, later with Jules yeah. Holland. Fuck knows why That's but right. they were. And uh, yeah. Marky e. Smith agreed on the proviso that it was explicitly written into the contract yeah. that Jules Holland was not allowed to play boogie woogie piano yeah. over their song. He's not. He's not going to turn this. He's not going to turn my band into the Jail Giles band. I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> um, so yes, the, so yes, the fight, thirty uh, first December, two thousand and four. Um, now we've talked about uh, the Gracie family before on this podcast, um, and you know about uh, Hoist Gracie, Hickson Gracie, Henzo Gracie, Helio Gracie. You know all, all the uh, all the famous ones. Yeah. Um, however, but what about Hyen? Yes, what about Hyen Gracie? For uh, for every sort of world-leading MMA artist in the Gracie family, there are about um, <laughs> 10 fucking uh, hangers-on um, yeah, who are like... Peters. I mean, if, First you were, cousins. If, if you were unfortunate enough to be watching New Japan in 2013, um, when uh, Daniel and Hollis Gracie, one of whom was fucking related by marriage, uh, had their feud against uh, Sakuraba and uh, various people um, and then an absolute classic feud that we will review at some point <laughs> and and then inexplicably were booked in a match with Toriano and Takashi Izuka Izuka Takashi yeah. Izuka Takashi Izuka <laughs> the guy in the place with a bittersweet face <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah I don't know why um, that is they um I mean, Hollis and Daniel wrestled uh, about as convincingly as um, uh, Jerry Salovitz, um spoke when he claimed that he uh, wouldn't have agreed to appear in the video for Ebenezer Good if he had known it was a song about drugs. And uh, if you believe that, I've got some shares in Enron to sell you. 
<laughs> like, I, I love the, I love the fact that Jerry Sadovich draws the line there. Apparently, personally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, like, yeah, all the other, all the other, everything else he's the most ever done. like deliberately offensive comedian that ever lived is like, well, that's a step too far. Well, well, his his, be- his best line was he managed to get punched in the face in like the first <laughs> minute of a set in Canada when he just <laughs> he just came out and his opening line was, "All right, moose fuckers, I'll tell you why I hate Canada. Half of you speak French and the other half let them." <laughs> Oh. Um, my, oh, uh, Jerry Sadler, it's, it's it's the second worst gig he's ever had because I remember when he was really young because he was doing his magic. Oh, he, I've heard this story. This is uh, brilliant. Oh Christ! Um, he was he was doing he went into like some a really bad hard man pub in Glasgow, like one one of the proper you know where it's just full of old UVF paramilitaries <laughs> who have settled down and live in Troon. No, um, no. one of those sort of pubs. No windows. Um, Everyone's um, drinking seventy shillings. Yeah, everyone is trying to shout 70 shilling. And the, I think it was the Pharisees, the, the gangsters, the Pharisees frequented in there. And Jerry Sadowitz turned up once because it was a comedian, Janie Godley, who was the, the, oh, yeah. the landlady. And he turned up and says, I'd like to do some magic in the pub. He's like, I'd like to do a performance. He says, you do know this is like a, a gangland pub. This, this is not the sort of place to be doing magic. He says, no, 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 it'll be fine. And he turned up and he did this and all the Pharisees had turned up and turned like the dawn. The absolute dawn um, of the, of them, um, and he turned up and uh, he went for his magic show. These um, ganglands in notoriety figures uh, with knives on them, um, and he like wanted a volunteer from the crowd, and he took I can't remember is it Daniel Ferris is the the big one and his cousin Hollis, um, Daniel Daniel Ferris. He says, "Can I have your watch?" And he went, "This watch was given to me by my by my father before he died. This is the most precious heirloom that I have." He went, "All right then, that's fine." He took it, put it in a bag, and smashed it with a hammer, and then just opened the bag, just just destroyed watch, and just went, "Ta-da!" <laughs> <laughs> and then um like and then like um I think I think Jane Godley said that I think she she phoned an ambulance for him when this happened. He hadn't even been beaten up yet, but she just knew it was coming, so she just phoned the police and an ambulance and said, Turn up in about twenty minutes. Um <laughs> um yeah, Jerry Sadowitz, what a guy. I mean oh, gangster spots. All, all this uh Jerry Sadowitz and Jules Holland talk. Clearly we're just putting off having to talk about this fucking fight. So um yeah. okay. Yeah. High and Gracie with a professional record of um uh four wins and uh, two losses um against um returning to uh, the podcast with a professional record of zero wins, four losses <laughs> and um one no contest, which is basically the equivalent of when San Marino actually managed to draw at football. It is Yoji fucking Anjo. Hell oh, yes. We weren't going to do a Pride episode without him. (laughs) Anjo versus Gracie 2. This time, it's for money. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, presumably, the uh, the, the bookers of Pride were like, Yoji, Yoji, mate, Yoji, do you remember when you got your face face pounded into Portman's? Do you want to to relive that, but against a much less talented member of the same family? (laughs) Who wouldn't? (laughs) and um the um the, actually the best part about this this match both the best and the most tragic is that uh, Nobuhiko Takada is uh, uh there on commentary with this wry almost amused look on his face Oh, he no, looks exhausted. Everyone looks like... absolutely exhausted by Yoji's yeah. shit. Just, <laughs> is this still ongoing? Like, I thought we laid this to bed. I've I've noticed this, and it happens in the in another fight that we'll talk about later as well. Is that like there's a lot of fights that happen in Pride that people know are just preposterous, and it's like 
I feel really sorry for the actual athletes involved because they're having to take it seriously because for their own safety. But everyone else is just like, this will be funny. Like, and you can see it, like the eyes of the coaches and the refs and all that, you know? And they're just like, yeah, I can't wait for everyone to laugh while we possibly maim each other. Well, it's quite funny, actually, that like, because we, we talked about um, um, in our New Japan UWFI episode, which I uh, recommend you uh, check out. Waiting approved, by the way. Um, um, but basically, um, Yoji Anjo, after he, you know, um, uh, disgraced Japan in much the same way that Mark Coleman disgraced America, um, ca- carved out America. a niche for himself as a really hated heel in pro wrestling. Um, as you know, the man who let Japan down, he, he parlayed that into a, a good amount of heat and a, and a, a good deal of uh, success in pro wrestling. However, there was also money uh, to be made from him being a can for uh, people like High and Gracie. And yeah, this really is the equivalent of um, of yeah the Sakuraba, Daniel and Hollis Gracie thing in New Japan. It's like, okay, you couldn't get the good Gracies. But you want to relive the Japan versus Gracie feud, so uh, this is what you get. I mean, this is no, um, this is no uh, Sakuraba fucking yeah. The, the, the fight that we uh, talked about in episode thirteen. I mean, there's a manager in my work called Maida Gracie. We could get her in. <laughs> Probably do a better job. Grace Fields, uh, WG Grace. <laughs> oh, Amazing, WG. all the Graces. Uh, WG Grace, they've come to see me strike, not you. Take guard. Um, so, um, yeah, the, uh, fight, such as it is, this will probably not take long to, uh, describe, so, um... I, I, I wanted to, uh, before we go into oh, this, on. um, they mentioned that they're on the commentary, eagle-eared oh. listeners, the eagles have ears, I don't, I don't know if they have eagle ears, <laughs> if eagles have ears, but, um, eagle-eared listeners will remember that this, um, from a New Japan UWFI show, I bumped a lot of the audio from this fight and put in our hilarious stingers involving Ian Duncan Smith. <laughs> but they mentioned, um, they mentioned at the start that this is obviously Andrew Shorter re- uh, redemption. He's fought, he's basically trying to get revenge for being minced by a Hickson, and they go into his training regime. Did you? Oh, pick oh no, this is so good. Oh my god, they they they. <sighs> Have the absolute barefaced fucking cheek, right? <laughs> to try and they don't even intimate. try and hide it because Rutten just like basically starts laughing at one point. As well. They they, they they go through Yoji Andros training inverted commas regimen, right? Um, where six days a week, yeah, uh, he does good twelve, ra- yeah, twelve rounds of wrestling, yeah, twelve five minute rounds. 12 five-minute rounds of wrestling, followed by 18 three-minute rounds of Thai boxing. <laughs> no, That's you not don't. Even a, not even a focused training regime. It'd be useless to do that. <laughs> you may as well scrap with fucking winos in an alley. <laughs> <laughs> Combat sports equivalent of like practicing for the like you know, the World Cup final against one of the best football teams in the world. I'm just going, that's all right, lads. I'll just do five aside. No, <laughs> I'll just do five I, aside. I, Shirts versus skins, lads. Shirts versus skins. I know. I I don't profess to be a MMA expert. I'm, I'm not. I'm no Sean Wheelock. I'm no, no Robin Black. I'm not even any Stephen Quadros, right? Not even Quadros. Quadros. I, I I I'm willing to put a five pound bet. On the fact that Yoji Andrew did not do oh. 12 rounds of wrestling followed by 18 rounds of tie yeah. every day, I, six days a week. I would but go you further. Could put, like, the fucking Tuesday off or something like that. Yeah. I would go further. I would say that many, many, many of the things that our beloved duo of Quadders and uh, Bas Rutten 
uh, not put me to ground, yeah, uh, say on this is um, complete nonsense and a, and a massive lie. I'll start. <laughs> I've actually noted some of these, so I'd like to introduce you to a section that's called um, <laughs> Daniel presents Bass's biggest whoppers. Uh, so, um, whopper number one. Um, first thing he says uh, when asked his opinion on this fight is, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do, Bass. You know exactly what's going to happen in this fight. We all know exactly what's going to happen in this fight. It's if Yoji Andrew is going to lose. That's what's going to happen, right? Um, that's, 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 at, least, at the very least, that's what we presume. Right? Or given me evidence, right? Whopper number two. Uh, it's not so much a whopper, but a vast, vast, vast understatement of the highest order. If he'd been English, I would have almost um, sort of taken this as a linguistic or like a quirk, but he's not. He's Dutch, and they're not known for their exaggerated understatement. He actually said, well, you know, um, when he went down to Hickson's gym, Hickson got the better of him. <laughs> Hickson got the better of him implies that there was in any way some kind of struggle at some point. Hickson, Hickson literally locked himself in a room with him and beat his shit out of him. There's another one goes to like, yes, well, Andrew went to Hickson's gym and he. And he. Yeah, challenged him. He beat him up. He yeah. beat him up. <laughs> yeah. Quality understatement there, Baz. The, the, yeah, the, the best know. bit is um, Baz posits that uh, Hyan is trying to make an example of Andrew. It's like, for what? <laughs> Hurting Hickson's knuckles? Yeah, I know, right? Like, yeah, it's like, like Andrew's just like, you know, look, guys, I made a, I made a mistake. Stop, <laughs> stop sending members of your family to beat me up. I didn't even get hurt you. This is unfair. This, this is, is like this is one of those Albanian blood feuds <laughs> in the, the north of it. The children like, take know, over they, when the parents die. Yeah, they, yeah, they murder each other and then like you know lie to get the other person off in court just so they can murder them instead of letting them go to jail. That's basically what Andrew versus Gracie. I hope to God Andrew doesn't have a son because I swear to God we're going to be seeing like Daniel Hollis, no Daniel Gracie versus Yoji Andrew Jr. Um, and rise in about three years. Yeah, they'll just turn up on his um, they'll just turn up on his son's doorstep, like, and they'll just be these much, 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 much bigger boys, and they'll just batter him and steal his lunch money. Uh, and then inexplicably, Chris, inexplicably, Chris Matters will be there. Like, <laughs> Eve Torres is going to put Yoji Andrew's son in a Kimura, and it'll be fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, Eve Torres is a Gracie now, isn't she? Oh, everyone's she a Gracie is, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Gracie now. <laughs> she married a Gracie and she done like MMA training and I would give so much money to watch Eve Torres's like a documentary like you know how choke for Hicks and Gracie yeah. I really want a choke but for Eve Torres at like some sort of like Gavali Tudor tournament yeah. <laughs> she's just like well I'm just waiting for the day that I can get my hands on, on Yoji Anjo you know it is Eve Torres I think of or is it Rosa Mendes no it's Eve, it's, uh, uh, Eve, it's, it's Eve Torres yeah she Eve, no, she's, Torres uh, I think she instructs uh, Gracie Jiu Jitsu uh, now which is uh, it's, it's pretty well, she, could, she could she could probably like kill me but uh, <laughs> I know, could and arguably yeah. should uh, <laughs> just yeah final, fi- one final thing there is actually there is a third there is a third whopper Okay, there is a third of Bass's big whoppers, which is that immediately after saying Hickson got the better of him, he says, well, you know, Andrew's always wanted to fight Hickson again. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. Like, I mean, literally, he's got post-traumatic stress because he fought him the first time. Andrew he has sweat-induced to... fever dreams about it. He does not. Like, I mean, 
I mean, I remember I dislocated my knee when I was 16 playing rugby, and I've always thought ever since, you know, it'd be great if I just, you know, went for that again. I really love having a sore knee in the cold winter. Um, like even 12 years on it's great I, I yeah. think it'd be great Andrew's wanted to uh, fight Hickson again in the same way that Italy's wanted to fight the fucking second world war again <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh yeah like uh, we should probably clarify we'll probably clarify this Yoji Andrew has wanted to fight Hickson in Fire Pro with the controller <laughs> yeah. he, he, he's good he, he wants to do the equivalent of um, when you're playing football manager and you take you're playing a really important match and you take over the other team a week before it, just in case you're not winning after 90 minutes. You need to take, that, take, take matters into your own hands. Um, and the other good thing about this that we should mention as well um, is that, um, um, let, let, let's be honest, right? There is only a few ways, a few very sort of minor ways in which you could make Yoji Andro any, look like any more of a loser. One of those things would be to dress him. Um, and I made this comment about him, an, an indie wrestler called Daniel Maccabee recently, but I think it applies to Anjo here too. Would be to dress him as if he's forgotten his kit and he's had to go into. Do you remember at school the spare kit box yes. in PE? Yes. Oh, and it, you open it up and like dust kind of like just like uh, puffed into the air, uh, and you could just smell like decades of like physical and emotional repression. Um, and like you know, uh, you, you could smell the bullying on it. Yeah, you could smell the bullying on it. You know, it looks like they've just gone. Oh, yo, just see what's at the bottom of it, and he's had to dig down at the bottom to find a musty leotard. But it's so so sad. Uh, I, I feel so bad for him at this point, possibly more so than any of the other ones. Because at this point, it's clear it's like, mate, you're just doing this because you need the money. Yeah. Uh, there's no like, uh, res- 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 residual pride or um, even spectacle left in it anymore. You know, it's horrible. Well, I mean, the one thing I was going to say about, like, you were talking about Baz's big whoppers, and this is a pretty sad <laughs> affair all around. It's but... so sad. There is one moment of clarity from Baz, um, and <laughs> is it is it Maro or is it Quadros at this point? Quadros. It's Quadros, right? Quadros comes out with <laughs> an astonishing fact. Yes, right? I know, I got this as well. Oh, this fact. <laughs> you did you know, George, that Yoji Andrew's favourite meal is Kato, which is a fermented <laughs> soybean. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and Baz reply, uh, Baz replies by saying, uh, "Oh no!" And Stephen Corder says that I don't have any knowledge of this, but I've heard that it's quite good. And Baz yeah. just replies, "It's not. <laughs> it's, it's disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> it's it's he just said it's disgusting." Now I literally um, had to ask Daniel what a tagine was <laughs> about an hour and a half ago when you went away to get your tagine. So I have no idea uh, about this. If it's not chips, I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> there's a, there's a character in. Um, <laughs> I think it's um, the Autumn of the Patriarch by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who's like, who's like fucked her stomach because she's addicted to eating fermented honey, which has this sort of narcotic thing. Just <laughs> imagine Yuji Anjo has to take this fight. George, 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 are you sure you're not confusing it for Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> Yuji Anjo just had to take this fight to, to finance his rampaging fermented soybean habits. I mean, change, change, um, you know, fermented soybean habit for literally any other drug, and it is every pride fighter. <laughs> it's like uh, bleeding gums, Murphy, and the Fabergé eggs. <laughs> Sir, I think you've had enough. I want another. I want another fermented soybean. Um, okay, so here's the fight. I'm going to describe the fight, then we can stop talking about it. 
Um, yeah, so Hyun takes a huge swing and uh, and then the, the take down. They embrace very tightly. Um, Anjo wriggles out of a series of sideband attempts, ends up on his back again. Um, the ref pulls them back to the centre. Um, Gracie gets a yellow card for having a pop before they've resumed the decision. David? Uh, it was a stone wall <laughs> raid. I've seen him given. Uh, soft for me, that guy. He, he, sh- he shoves the ref. He absolutely... A straight red. I mean, he shoves the ref. If you had went to fucking Mark Clattenburg and you just shoved him down, you'd be off. Three match ban, minimum. You'd, you'd be spat at, probably, by, like, some ball boy or something like that when you were leaving. You'd be more hated than Yoji Andrew. <laughs> you would. Like, you know, um, I mean, I mean, especially don't do it to a uh, Paul Alcock. Oh, I pay. Uh, the the ultimate uh, referee push uh, in the shape of Paolo Di Canio. Pa- Paolo uh, Di Canio, <laughs> your problematic face. Classic. <laughs> I am. I wish you'd gotten that referee I wouldn't see in an amateur game who just went up to the two captains at the start going, "Any of your shite, I'll fucking get." <laughs> Brilliant. Oh God. Um. But who polices the police? <laughs> Daniel, stop being so juvenile. <laughs> God. Um, okay. Uh, we go high, we go low. Um, so they're made to, made to stand up. Um, high and easily takes Anjo down again. Um, and uh, this time the position is fine. And then I think, hey guys, maybe a cage is better than a ring. But if they haven't worked it out by <laughs> New Year's Eve 2004, um, I doubt they ever will. Um, Anjo gives him his back and uh, gets punched, uh, gets mounted... Um, then um, you know what's coming. Yeah, Anjo like Hein goes for a choke. Anjo grabs his arms and does a decent job of resisting. And and yeah, very very slowly, right. it seems as this is your hope spot for this match. Very very slowly, Anjo finagles his way into a um, dominant position, but then just kind of falls over and gets armbarred from underneath somehow, and then taps out. It's so yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah. So. So the absolute the absolute soy boy uh, is, um, I, is, is 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 it does not have a good time by the end of this. There, there is a, like um, a slight bit just before that when because um, I think this is important to remember as well. But uh, Ryan Gracie is referred to on commentary as the uh, the loose cannon of the, uh, the Gracie cannon. family. So in the same way that Dean Ambrose is the lunatic fringe, and that basically means that he wears a leather jacket and probably owns a slightly exotic or unusual pet. Uh, Ryan Gracie <laughs> is the loose cannon of the, which they basically means that he's a petulant little shit and occasionally eyeballs the ref and the crowd a bit um, and um, and responds badly. Um, to um, to being told that um, you know he has to reposition. That, that's a bad thing. Basically, basically, he's Brian Pillman. What happens afterwards is he goes up to Quadros and he just grabs him and Quadros goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> well, if you well, uh, loose cannon was the name of uh, Giles Fraser's uh, uh, column. If, if if ever if ever like one man one like showed you how to make a uh, years long journalistic career out of being slightly sympathetic to uh, the Occupy movement and then espousing every Christo fascist position going on his way to a, a fucking tenure track position at cow based fash website unheard, then uh, Giles Fraser is it. <laughs> cow based fash website. Uh... Uh, this, this match, however, did feature possibly my favourite moment in all of this podcast. Um, apart from the time when Yoji Andrew got uh, mummified in package tape, it's up there with that. But I timestamped this. Let's see where it's nine twenty. It's approximately nine twenty. Oh, this, this, ma- this match went nine twenty. 
Yeah. Oh, it went more than 9.20. At 9.20, oh, yeah. there is an audible Yoji Andrew chant. Oh. There is an audible Andrew chant. And I heard yeah. it and I was like, after all this time, he get minced, everyone hate him, and then suddenly we've come full circle and the crowd are chanting for fucking Yoji Andrew. And with this, I, I've not told you about this, but I've been simmering this for 10 months. I would like to formally induct Yoji Andrew into the Puri Puri Podcast Hall of Fame as our first inductee. <laughs> I, I, because... I, I, I would think that that would be more than fair. No, yes. I, 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 I agree with you on that because, like, we've, we've, we've made fun of him a lot on the podcast, but there is something, as we've talked about before, there's something inherently sympathetic about a man who knows he's in a bit of a shitty position and he's doing something he doesn't really, strictly speaking, want to do, but he kind of has yeah. to because he's got bills to pay and... Um, We'll see some more of that in a minute as well. Oh, yes, we fucking will. Um, but um, actually, uh, before that, um, we haven't... Uh, well, well then. one thing I want to say just before you go on is that for all we make fun yeah. of Andrew and stuff like that, I understand the situation. He did look genuinely crushed at the end when he realised he'd lost. Yeah. Like, I think that even though he was doing it for the payday, I think in the back of his mind, like when Fistle played Celtic last week, I was like, we could do this. We, we can maybe do this, and he's sitting in the back of his mind. He's sitting there going, "I could, I could beat Gracie, and then everything would be fine." Like you know, I, I'd have exercised my demons. Yeah. I could I, do this, and then it doesn't happen, and you can see he's visibly like upset, like um because yeah, yeah it happened again. Um, but yeah, but no, like I, I love you, Yoji Andrew. Uh, you know, you'll always be her favorite. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's a shame. It's it, it is. This is the thing about and you know it, what's worth remembering as well is that at certain points in his career, Yoji Andrew was um a uh, a good professional wrestler. Yeah, uh, I, I, I really like him. That 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 should not be forgotten. Like it's a shame that he's laughed at so much. You know, to that the Hickson thing really did. Um. It really does. Um, I mean, it's, I wouldn't even say unfairly overshadowed because it's such a notable thing to have done. So sort of viscerally bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like um, Yo Jancho was a good professional wrestler, and he did really, really good work um, in the promotions that he was in for the positions that he was on the card. And um, if you didn't know that these days, you, you'd probably only know him through the notorious Hickson story. I do think that's a bit of a shame. So um, yeah, you know, um, we 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 have had a lot of fun with him, but. Um, Certainly, is achieved. He's achieved more than I have in my life. God, <laughs> so you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, you get everyone in Saitama to chant from, and I felt that was the best sort of closure we could ever get, apart from a winning. But apart, yeah. apart from that, it's actually the best quite sort nice of closure, the, the yeah. best realistic uh, closure we could have had. Um, yes. So um, yeah. Uh, so um, next fight we have. Um, with this isn't a a, a horror show. Uh, far from it, actually. This is a no, it's another genuine it's like... uh, Stone Cold classic. So it is from twenty sixth of June two thousand and five. Um, it is Mauricio Shogun Hua with a professional record of nine wins and one loss against uh, Antonio Hegerio Nogueira with a professional record of eleven wins and one loss. So again, you know, uh, unstoppable force, immovable objects. Which is which? Who is the beast and who is the man? Um, so, um, Daniel, um, which nog is this? Is this a big little egg? Which one? Which one? <laughs> uh, you only got one egg. month of nog uh, a year. We need to take it as we can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is um, this is little nog. Uh, just so as people know, um, um, 
that uh, yeah um, that there is a big nog and small nog um there is um an uh, antonio um rodrigo uh, Noguera and uh, Antonio um, Roj, I think it's Roj, 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 Rogerio. Rogerio, yeah, yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah, no, Noguera. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's pronounced Jonathan Wojigati. It's actually pronounced Francois Jeppe. Um, but no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, this is uh, this is little Nog. Um, so he's obviously, and um, I think probably still to these days, he's he's always been slightly overshadowed by his more famous um, uh, brother, um, and um, which is obviously um, uh, Minotauro, um, uh, as he's nicknamed, who is one of the pioneering heavyweights um, of Pride and my favorite fighter of all time. Um, I don't think he's the best fighter of all time, but he is my favorite. Um, we we spoke about him um, uh, briefly um, in the, uh, the 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 last episode where we spoke about uh, Crocop. Um, if you remember, we spoke about Crocop um, um, defending him when he was um, a potential opponent uh, against the kind of uh, slurs of some Croatian journalists in a very sporting uh, manner. Uh, so yeah, he's the the, the smaller brother um, of uh, the heavyweight um, Minotoro. Um, and I'd say this um, he was he was quite young uh, here, I think, as a fighter, but. This is actually maybe maybe almost his peak as a fighter as well, uh, because um, really after this he would succumb to various different injuries. So um, this is pretty much him at his peak, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's um, he's up against um, um, Mauricio Shogun Hua, um, who would go on to be um, a light heavyweight champion in um, UFC um, and a um, very successful fighter in his um, in his own right. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is. Um... This is a, a brilliant fight. It's a long fight as well. Like, uh, this mm. this goes the distance. Very long. Yeah, it does um, go so, the distance. So long, in fact, that I have a confession to uh, okay. Oh, God. That, that I, I kind of zoned out after a while. <laughs> uh, because it's quite long. And if, if it's over about four minutes, um, I'm done. Name, um, name your sex I tape. I had to watch it. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I had to watch that Gracie Sakuraba um match over 22 and a half settings not surprised to be honest well um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm about to crack um, I don't know why I'm doing this but I feel like I have to before the end of the year I'm about to crack the 70 minute Omega oh. match at some point so just can you imagine how many piss breaks and cups of tea I'm going to make during that yeah. honestly it is like I think it's really good. You'll probably hate it, but like uh, uh, for an overblown for for a seventy minute match, it's honestly pretty good. Like, uh, yeah, it's just seventy. It's too mi- it's Do too long to the, watch. Anything. I say the answers no. <laughs> I think it's it's too long. Yeah. Also, like uh, only one of those men uh, doesn't have us blocked on Twitter, so uh, says that. Um, <laughs> which, which, which one? I must have told you about this. Kenny Omega blocked us on Twitter. Oh, did uh, well, because is it because he's listened to the podcast and heard my opinions about? Uh, it? No, actually, it's because I um, politely and respectfully suggested on Twitter that maybe he shouldn't have um, booked a registered nonce on a uh, show that he was procuring <laughs> talent for, and then misled people about the uh, the um, extent of his contact. Uh, with, with him yeah. and then defended himself in a, a rather ham-fisted, meltish manner. Did, did not like that, did uh, Big Kenneth. So uh, we, we can't view his social media content anymore, which is, is a loss I'm um, feeling um, as acutely as the uh, the costoconditis that I've uh, recently been diagnosed with. 
<laughs> That's where the pain comes from. <laughs> it took him. It took him seventy minutes to wrestle Okada, uh, and he only he can only handle about five minutes of our uh, extreme zingers. <laughs> so, you know, there you go, tapped out, tapped out, in Kenny Omega. Um, yeah. So there you go. So, uh, so David, yes. So while you were zoned out from this match, what were, what were you doing? I decided I thought it'd be quite fun, where I was going to do a Brazilian MMA eleven, so construct a football team <laughs> of Brazilian MMA fighters. Great use um, of time. I think we can all agree. A, a fantastic use of time. I mean, I I was fully ag- I was fully agog and like transfixed on High and Gracie versus Yoji Andro, but I mean, like an actual like good match. I was in a fuck this. Um, so I'll run through my team. I, I went on the Brazil 2002 World Cup model. Uh, the formation, I believe, it's a it's a two three two one one one. This is very strange. It, it's very strange. But you've got two at the back, right? Uh, so like our goalkeeper, first of all, um, I thought there was only one uh, for that. Anderson Silver, because he's a spider. And yeah, if you sure. have someone nicknamed the Spider, you have to put them in goals. The only other, uh, the only person that you would put in goal over that would be someone nicknamed the Octopus. The Octopus, yeah. Either that or Giant Silver, if he was like in, in the in the line, you know, to be chose. Uh, Giant Silver and goals. Um, at the back, I thought. Um, I need I need a strong defence, so I uh, googled best MMA defence. Uh, got the top ten defenders in MMA, and he came up Jose Aldo, um, who obviously a very good defender, and Leoto Machida, who until he faced, um, I want to say one of the one of the Nogs, um, he was the least hit uh, martial artist in UFC. Yeah. So like, he just, nobody hit him. Like it just it just never happened. So he's got a cracking defence. I fought him at the back. And then I had in front of them I had a free. Of Hendel, Hickson, and Hoist. Yeah. Oh, nice. And I'm, I'm a big sucker for like familial, you know, like that that sort of ESP you get from having like, you know, um, that family bond. Um, in front of them, I put Big Nog and Little Nog, of course. Solid. Solid. Same, same idea. In front of them, I had Vanderlei Silver and a sort of creative, you know, um, attacking midfielder role. Uh, you know, I thought if anybody's going to have that sort of technical nous, that, you know, a bit of. A bit, a bit extra here. Are you sure it's not just because you actually wanted to put him at left back, but uh, then you thought, actually, it's Vanderlei Silver. He's called the axe murderer. <laughs> I'll probably just give him a free roll. <laughs> he can play wherever he wants. He's the yeah, leader. It's the Ferguson and Cantona approach. It's like everyone else is <laughs> is is given the most strict possible uh, sort of delineation of what their responsibilities are. If they step out of it, they will be... You know, they will be absolutely like rained upon at half time, and then Kabnard does it, and the whole team's waiting for him to like tear him apart. And he's just like, Oh, Eric, keep doing what you're doing, brilliant stuff. I do know, I care not a jot. <laughs> I deride your ground wrestling abilities and Vanderly <laughs> Silver. Um, so no, I, I want to bat Silver. him. On the left of uh, Vanderly Silver, I had um, I, this is. Um, your your big horse, you know, your big horse striker who can make runs and just basically bully defenders and barge his way past. Your corner salmons, your Akin Fenwas, <laughs> all that. Uh, Vitor Belfort, who Vitor is Belfort. Vitor Belfort up front. And then uh, right up front, the, the, the play man, the man who's going to be um, leading the charge, um, Hua, Mauricio Shogun Hua with his kicks. Yeah, I thought, good. have him. Straight up front, but yeah, no, he having a guy called Shogun uh, up top is very Dynasty Warriors, isn't it? <laughs> ah, finally, I meet oh. my greatest foe. <laughs> Did you have any comments, Daniel? Anything that you yeah. would change about that? Uh, well, um, I was, um, I, I, I like uh, the, the, um, the, the reliance on um, uh, brothers. 
yeah. I, I think that's good. It reminds me very much of um, of uh, you can uh, Jack Charlton, Bobby Charlton in the Saving England yeah, team, but... that kind of thing. I like to see that. So that would be nice if they could. Um, Jonathan they could... and Giovanni dos Santos. <laughs> Ian and David Brightwell. Um, exactly. yeah, all the big names. Uh, you know, so I, that was good. I like that. Um, I, I also um, uh, thoroughly enjoy the idea of Anderson Silva going in goal because I just like the idea of like the game sort of uh, uh, being played out in front of him and him not having to do much and him just sort of walking about uh, and sort of, um, you know, um, just uh, having, having a philosophical um, sort of um, discussion with himself and his lovely voice. Uh, you know, sort of like, what does it mean to be a goalkeeper? What does it mean to be the most isolated man on the beach? Uh, I, I like the idea of I like the idea of Anderson. I like the idea of Anderson Silva trying to take a goal kick and his leg fucking breaking. <laughs> I, I would like to see him lead lead from the back, you know, like giving orders to the defense, you know, getting people up front in his amusing voice. You know how like you know how like goalies will shout at people to get up front. I'd love to see Anderson Silva try to put any sort of aggression in his voice, try to tell people to get up. Into the Sainsbury's beach. Come on, guys, we've got to clear the ball. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> okay. uh, excellent. Uh, anyway, before Mind we uh, slip into anything um, that's um, you know above and beyond mild racing, <laughs> um, let's um, okay. yes, yeah, so let, let's talk about the let's talk about the fight. Um, so um, the first three the first three words in my notes just says punching each other, which. Um, yeah, the, there's a lot of that in this. In yeah, this. it's the start of a lot of these uh, fights. Uh, Nog goes for a uh, takedown, who reverses it and and gets dominant. I've got written down uh, here. To be fair, there was a lot going on in this fight, so my notes aren't necessarily. Um, uh, let, let, shall we say? Oh, there yeah. was a ton going. Yeah. Shall we say very cogent? Um, Nog goes for the leg and it gets blocked. They they're swinging at each other. Another Hua takedown. Both guys get some punches in. Hua is up first and a uh, stomp attempt. Nog somehow blocks the stomp with his own foot, <laughs> which must yeah. have hurt like a bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose that's the thing though. It's like when you think about it, it's like when 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 you block in um like you know um uh, sort of tie or kickboxing. You are essentially just using your shin to block another person's shin. It's like it's like, and that's an that's an acceptable, technically like correct block. So well, it's like, you know, oh yeah, if you if you were playing like fives, <laughs> if you were playing fives and somebody like got into you and went on shin on shin contact, you'd both be down. Um, <laughs> yeah. For a good well, few it, moments. It, I, I was. I was watching the um, the uh, the uh, all or nothing or the Amazon Prime documentary about City recently, and like there's a there's a horror challenge uh, um, by um, a Cardiff City player um, on a uh, Leroy Sane in that that I remember from last season, and Sane has to come off the pitch, you know, because he's like he's got a gash in his um, you know in his in his shin, you know, and it's just like uh, yeah, when you watch stuff like this, you really do sort of like um, remember, especially if you've just watched a kind of like a Yoji Anjo match before that. Uh, you do really remember when you watched this, just like how brutal like a lot of Pride um, fights were with the, the with the long first round, uh, with the um, you know the kind of the, the, the rules about being stood up. Like um, these were these were pretty brutal affairs, and this one's a real kind of um, war of um, of attrition and trying to sort of work out 
just to find that chink in, in your opponent's um, armor, you know, and, and think straight while you're sort of raining down and being rained down on with a lot of punishment. Like, it's um, it's quite an intense um, fight and a genuine I mean, classic. I mean, at least, like, it's not like early Pride where, like, all the rounds were 10 minutes and there were as many of them as you wanted. <laughs> like, fucking hell. So, um, uh, Nog drops her, but he's back up immediately. More wailing on each other. Uh, nice little knee in the clinch by Nog, but another uh, takedown from Hua. And uh, Nog shows his very good uh, transitions uh, here. He uh, yeah. goes for a uh, Kimura, and then once he realises that isn't go, he slides really smoothly into an armbar. Like, it's absolutely uh, uh, gorgeous to watch. Yeah. He's been doing his little uh, analogue stick wiggling like you do on the game. You've got to get the pan right, and yeah, so you can, uh, you can right. uh, move from uh, half guard into full guard. And... Uh, um, most mornings at Brazilian top team, it's um, before they do their um, their, uh, their their cardio uh, and then they work on pads and things and do their technique. It is generally just um, uh, um, uh, um, their stick fiddling. Well, it's very interesting you mentioned that because you you obviously you were talking before about the the shootbox uh, Brazilian top team rivalry. I mean, this is one of the perfect examples of it because um, they, they do mention it quite frequently throughout the fight about you know the differences between shootbox and Brazilian top team and the rivalry that was going on. Um, and this is sort of a pivotal moment, I think, for that. It is, yeah. This Actually, this whole um, this whole kind of era of pride, um, this whole kind of... Um, cause I, I think I'm right in saying that this is either in or it's on the same card as matches that are in the Pride Middleweight um, uh, Grand Prix tournament that was going on at the time. Um and um, yeah, I think this was a quarterfinal match, and that's right because that was actually a tournament that Vandalay Silva was expected to win because he was in that as well, um and he was very heavily tipped to uh to to win that. But um yeah, um uh, that was one of the big stories throughout it was um the Brazilian top team um, and shootbox rivalry. And as you said, they mentioned it on the commentary, but um, I'll I'll just briefly give listeners kind of um an overview of kind of what what this means. Um so this actually goes back um a little bit deeper into um the combat sport history in Brazil. In the sense that Brazil has always been um, a uh, a place where um, kind of the 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 culture of being um, in a gym and part of a team um, was um, always very very strong. Um, and there's um, in a similar way that you would get in Japan actually, and this might be one of the reasons why there's a lot of crossovers between the combat sports culture of these countries is uh, these kind of um, fairly old fashioned notions of um, pride um, and kind of um, honor. Um, and uh, protecting that pride and honor of, of your gym, protecting uh, the, the good name, if you will, uh, of your um, of your gym, and not backing down from a fight, and um, not um, you know um, letting people run you down uh, or disrespect you, um, is is quite strong. And this goes way back before um, shootbox or you know Brazilian top team were even ever gyms. Going way back to the early days of martial arts in Brazil, you hear stories about um, you know um, the early um, uh, sort of Gracies after they'd. Um, um, been picking up sort of um, uh, judo techniques and rudimentary jiu-jitsu techniques off off, off the masters um, would um, you know uh, run into um, other people's gyms. They heard they'd been talking shit about them, challenge them to uh, valetudo fights, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, so um, it goes back um, as far as that. But in terms of the two teams, um, we'll start with um, shootbox, I guess, because um, as as you can probably tell from uh, vandalized style and from the styles of a lot of the other guys that um, are part of um, that gym and, and who has no small exception of them. Um, uh, to that at all. Um, it was founded as um, a Muay Thai camp um, in the late 70s, I think. Um, it was founded by a guy called um, Rudimir Federigo. Um, and basically, um, it was um, very heavily tied to Muay Thai stand-up, but began to expand into other areas as well. 
so it begins to um, uh, move into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and grappling things as well, so he can um, more effectively combat that in, in Valetudo tournaments for its fighters and things. And then obviously by the time it gets around to MMA becoming a thing in the early 90s, it's kind of perfect timing because by that point, Shootbox has been training not only how to um, um, defend um, gra um, against grapplers um, uh, for strikers, but has made has now created people like Vandalay who are becoming kind of what the first wave of hybrid fighters, right? Um, an enormous, um, enormously important um, influence um, on this is the uh, striking coach there, Rafael Cordero, um, who goes on to become one of the great coaches in MMA, especially during uh, this period. He is um, credited, or certainly by a lot of people, um, as being one of the originators um, of this kind of um, what was um, either kind of known as the sort of pressure style um, or in other cases, the kind of berserker style, not a reference to uh, John Nord, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So um, there, that, that, as, as I mentioned before, it's a lot It's to do with a lot of pressure. Um, it's to do with um, a lot of um, using knees and elbows um, to try and get um, a advantage whenever you can. Um, and to really use your flurries to create a huge amount of damage and try and finish fights. So it's very popular amongst fans, you know. They want to see uh, fights that uh, get finishes. Uh, so Shootbox became synonymous, uh, synonymous, synonymous with this real pressure um, kind of berserker style. Um, in terms of um, like Brazilian top team, that's a little bit different. That actually goes um, um, all the way back to a connection with um, um, some of the much older um, Gracies. Um, so... Essentially, um, um, uh, one of the um, um, major kind of um, or, or sort of the best students um, of um, Carlson Gracie um, was a guy called Bebeo Duarte. Um, and he um, basically teamed up with a couple of other guys that um, um, some listeners may know if they're into early MMA. Um, Mario Sperry, uh, Murillo Bustamante, um, who I think actually was a title holder in the UFC at one point. I'll fact check that um, um, early on. Uh, but yeah, Brazilian top team were kind of the, the, the um, other big game um, in, in town um, as opposed to Shootbox. I have to kind of double check this, but the feeling I've always had was that Brazilian top team um, coming out of more of that of that um, kind of um, uh, jiu-jitsu tradition instead of picking up Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, to hybridize its style with striking was seen as kind of, I think, the... Um, there's always been an opinion in Brazil, I think, that those that have directly come from the lineage of the Gracies see themselves as a little bit stuck up, maybe. Um, a little bit more kind of um, uh, representative of kind of like um, um, middle class um, approaches to kind of martial arts. <laughs> you they down on, um, yeah, yeah. They look down on, you know, um, other um, other forms and other other schools, things like that. See, see, see them as kind of brutish, where they they are the purveyors of real, you know, honourable fight. It's all nonsense, of course, because they're just as um, involved in school degrees as anyone else. But yeah, um, so Brazilian top team um, was more based around um, 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 kind of. Um, uh, a base of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, as someone like Big Nog would show, uh, but also um, a kind, of, kind of the inverse of a shootbox would gradually uh, become um, uh, create very efficient strikers um, as well. Um, so yeah, these two groups, um, there's a lot of uh, tension between them. They don't really like each other much. And obviously you can imagine whoever um, you know um, wins more fights, whoever can, especially if you can get one over on someone in a fight um, from a guy from the other gym, that looks great. That's great for morale. Um, and you're the kind of top dogs in, in Brazil then. Um, yeah, so that's um, what we're, we're, we're seeing here, basically. So Little Nog, um, as we said, is a member of Brazilian top team. And um, uh, uh, Shogun Hua is pretty much um, like um, one of Vandalay's like, protégés um, at this point, almost, because Vandalay's already been quite influential in that gym. And they sort of face off. Um, so there's a lot of pride at stake here. So that really creates um, a lot of the elements of kind of... Um, peril and tension that you get in this fight. I mean, you you can really tell um, that these uh, that these dynamics are at play because, um, like the the 
I've got the word wailing written here more times than fucking Herman Melville did in Moby Dick. Like, um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, there's a bit of wailing uh, going on into the fight. A uh, takedown by who an upkick uh, shoves him off. And then we get a, you know, there's the sliding D from uh, Shogun Hua at, uh, <laughs> at one point. Yeah. Like shades of uh, fucking Masato Tanaka. Yes, I was. I was quite happy actually. I always like to see Masato Tanaka referenced. I'm glad he put that in for us. Yeah, I always <laughs> like to see a sliding D, uh, but yeah. uh, enough about last night. Um, and uh, somehow he like also gets the dominant position from the sliding D. Who the fuck knows how he managed to do that? But he uh, <laughs> he did um, some good dodging uh, from Nog and a big punch from him. <laughs> Who goes for a sliding D again? Never repeat the spot. Don't go for that second moon salt. You'll no, miss don't, it. Don't, 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 don't go all indie-rific on us. You've, you've messed up the move. Don't do it again. Yeah, like, um, and Nog grabs his wrist, um, uh, which is, a, you know, a um, tribute to um, a Gatoist legend uh, Kazuchika Okada. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, some uh, hardcore Holly-esque big shots. Um, and now there's a, a takedown from uh, Nog and... Um, Gets a front chancery and some uh, knees to the head, but Hua reverses it into the dominant position. Uh, kick to the back from uh, from Hua. That was really nasty. Uh, then we get timeout yeah. due to a timeout due to a glove fault. Yeah, I, I I bet both the guys at that point were just like, oh, thank you, glove fault. I have never wanted a glove fault more than I have now. And imagine <laughs> just like them just like grasping at their own gloves, just like I'm gonna fuck these up so I can have a rest. Yeah, because it is the pace is pretty frenetic, you know. Oh, about Jesus it, Christ, it really, it, it really is. It really is. Um, who uh, I think a little bit shaken by that because he goes for a few combos, but few of them find their target. And um, Nog gets mm. uh, some punches to the heads and knees in the clinch. Um, nice belly to belly style takedown from uh, from Hua. There's probably a fucking name for it, but yeah. I, I regard no, it, it as. It, it was, yeah, it's kind of like an old school. Um, it's it kind of like, it's quite. It seemed like yeah. quite an old school kind of wrestling it's, throw to me, almost like a really old school, like Cumberland wrestling style toss. It, it's throw, the fucking yeah. um, Shane Douglas belly to belly, where like his <laughs> his feet don't leave the floor, and neither do his opponents. Yeah. <laughs> And it's to his credit. Like, <laughs> whose, shin, whose knees still work? <laughs> now, now cut my fucking music. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, another great, um, um, other great stuff to uh, to end the uh, interminable uh, first round. Nice little dramatic for finish again. Who has got some knees to the head while in side control, and then uh, stomp to the head right on the bell. Yeah. Right, like right on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I think getting stomped on the bell might be. It might be a good Friday night where uh, where you're from, uh, Daniel. Well, but... uh, hard limit, hard limit. Um. So, um, <laughs> ra- round two, we go. We're going on. Um, Nog gets Hua down, and Hua keeps his balance and ends up uh, ends up on the top. In uh, ends ends up on the top. Yeah, he's just just fucking <laughs> mounted. Um, well, half the consumed. Jacob Rees. Oh, please don't. I don't want to think of anyone mounting Jacob Rees. I think Jacob Rees Mogg's done enough mounting, if judging by the amount of children he's got. <laughs> little Sixtus, little no, Anselm. Sorry, judging judging by the amount of children that his nanny yeah. uh, takes care of. by the amount of children that he literally does not care for himself because he's a fucking failed dad. He's a de- so, he's a de- Jacob Rees Mogg is a deadbeat dad. Oh, he really is. He's I forget, I forget which Labour MP uh, called him that in Parliament, but it was very based. 
Oh, that's good. Well um, see, they're not all Mike Gapes's. Um, so, um, whaling again for an extended period, um, just like Japanese fishermen, um, who are with uh, another takedown, <laughs> and uh, Nog goes for an armbar, somewhat uh, ineffectually. He just look a bit, a uh, mm. little bit um, tired from his uh, efforts, but then <laughs> so is Hua, because you know we're over 10 minutes into the fight at this point, and it just has not fucking let up. It reminds me of this... Um, um, Diego Sanchez versus Gilbert Melendez fight from like a few years ago in UFC yeah. where they are just trying to fucking rock and sock and robot each other's yeah. heads off right up until the end of the fight. That, that's absolutely true, yeah. The difference is that this is technique-wise, this is light years beyond yeah. that. You know, it's like a really, it's the best possible technical version of that. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. It just doesn't lay up. I mean, there's more oh. wailing than this in a fucking Demanda Gallus album. So <laughs> Literally more wailing than a very influential uh, reggae band. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of uh, wailing, um, I need to, I, I've been meaning to ask David about this and this seems as good a time as any. So we, we follow a, uh, a Twitter page which just tweets quotes from Moby Dick. Now, <laughs> I didn't follow this page because I've never read Moby Dick and I've no intention of doing so, even though it's on my fucking bookshelf. So, David, if so, why? I just thought it'd be quite funny that it's six months down the line we'd be recording a podcast and you go, David, why the fuck do we follow <laughs> Moby Dick? I mean, sound reasoning, it, to be fair, it's fucking worked. Yeah, yeah I mean, buried in between the 18 junior football teams that we follow... Um, I didn't think you would notice for a while. So. <laughs> and, and, and all those Republican flute bands. <laughs> All, all of that, all of that stuff, um, yeah. and um, and also that we we follow a few wrestling accounts as well. Like it's uh, it's uh, yeah. radical. Um, so um, who are sort of uh, after Nog fucks up uh, this armbar attempt? Who are sort of looms over him, <laughs> which is uh, rather rather good stuff. Um, it really it really is a loom. It it's is one of the dictionary. It's a dictionary definition of the verb to loom. It's um, it's uh, it's not just a loom; it's a fucking uh, spinning Jenny. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So uh, leg kick goes for the stomp, and it's blocked. Ref brings the fight back to standing for arcane reasons, as uh, tends to happen in these uh, <laughs> in these because he wants to because he's got out of bed a certain way that day. <laughs> yeah, thoughts. It's like when just <laughs> probably refereeing a sport. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's like any sport. Like sometimes the ref really goes big on the VAR, and sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, who tries an uppercut? Wild swinging by both. Takedown from who goes for a submission, but it's blocked back to half guard. Uh, Nod goes for a triangle, some knees and side control, and who uh, tries to roll him onto his back and eventually gets it. And the round ends with who uh, on top. So we've had two rounds in a row now where uh, Shogun Hua, his, um, I, 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 he didn't really get a chance to do much um, when he was uh, on top at the end of the second round. It wasn't as if at the end of the, like at the end of the first, he was just about to uh, smush the other guy's head into like the guy from Scanners. But like, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we get the sense that uh, Hua is getting the better of this fight. Nog's still in it. And he's still, uh, he's asking some questions, isn't he? <laughs> he is. He's knocking on the door. He's, he's taking door. a few bites of the cherry. <laughs> Anything can happen in That's 90 minutes. Sure. Um, uh, <laughs> Jump for golf. There's a, there's a, isn't it? Mm, Marvellous. There's a uh, nice uh, little uh, trip from, a little judo trip from who at the end of, um, at the start mm. of round three. Another sliding D attempt. He, he, he fucking loves it. <laughs> like, um, and he loves the D. 
Um, who who is on top? And uh, he's got he's got sliding the energy. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, um, who blocks the uh, uh, triangle uh, attempt from uh, from Nog up to his feet? And uh, Nog's cut now. Carved blood, not an MMA. Um, so <laughs> not allowed. A timeout to clean it. Wailing. Um, who drops him and nails a stomp this time? Like properly nails it. It's 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 actually quite um it's actually quite unsettling when you um when, when you when you watch this because you kind of forget that stomping was um such a as big a thing as it was in 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 Pride because uh, obviously Pride sort of folded a long time ago you don't watch an awful lot of it anymore because you've either already seen it or you know you watch another stuff and when you do come and revisit it like yeah like just the the sheer casual brutality as I believe you want to um, ascribe to um. Uh, Akira Tawe in another yeah. episode. Well, he's yeah. on display if here he does it in the street, he'd be done for assault. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it's, right. yeah, it's one of these things where like you watch an old <clears throat> film and you're enjoying it, and then suddenly Mickey Rooney comes in pretending to be Japanese. It's just one of these uh, things <laughs> that was of its you're time. Just sitting there going, Jiminy Jillikers, yeah. Jiminy Jillikers. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the perfect Emperor Hirohito right here. Yeah. Would you like some rice and or silk? <laughs> So, um, uh, brought back to the centre again by the ref, because we can't have blood and being on the ropes. These are two things we can't have. Being on the ropes no, is actually... Far too dangerous. Being on the ropes is actually fair enough, because like, there's some early pride fights where, which are principally comprised of uh, people getting uh, yeah. getting caught up in the ropes. Um, uh, Whoever so, tries to turn not... Uh, sorry, go on. I see people getting caught up in ropes more often than um, Daniel's bondage, then. Hey! <laughs> Allegedly. Just, just call him Katsuyori Shibari. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you're allegedly there. To be honest, um, I'm not going to sue you. Like, I've got a lawyer for one thing. Um, I was going to say I couldn't afford one. Um, so, um, uh, Hua tries to turn Nog over and then almost gets guillotined. So this is what I've been talking about in terms of yeah, Nog's certainly not dead and buried. He's certainly behind on the scorecard. Um, and uh, Ref Brin's about standing again, and Nog is really fucking bleeding now. They can't just go with it at this point. They're like, okay, you know, it's done. You know, I'll get, yeah. I'll get my free sanitary products, and I'll, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, ride out the wave, as it were. Um, Games are bogey. <laughs> got, got the decorators in. Um, so, um, Hua gets take down. A couple of minutes left now. Nog throws him off with some up kicks. Hua just misses another stomp. Uh, back to standing, and uh, Nog gets Hua down as we go into the last minute of the fight. Tries for a... yeah, it's quite exciting. That, yeah, it's really good. Point. He tries for his back, and then he hits a uh, uh, a turning kick, and uh, mm. uh, Hua just sort of um, knowing that oh shit, he might actually catch me with one here, just rushes him and takes him down. And the t- uh, the time elapses with them hitting each other in a vaguely sort of loose and exhausted uh, fashion. They've clearly <laughs> they've left it all on the pitch. Um, they they have, um, really have they've really gone for it, given one hundred and ten percent. <laughs> they have. You know what they've had? They've had bottle tonight. Like, they've had bottle. That's what they've had. Lots of bottle. Um, no, but this is this is a it's a classic pride fight. It's a brilliant fight between two very young, exciting fighters um, at the time, um, representative of two different gyms with two different styles, um, who are very evenly matched indeed. Um, and um, I think it's very easy to see when you watch fights like this at the time why um, you know um, um, in in this period for an awful lot of people. Um, you know, Pride was the, the despite all its ridiculousness and its uh, over-the-top sort of um, presentation and its, um, frankly, um, you know, um, lax attitude uh, to um, rules, substances and morals. Um, draconian. Draconian yeah. attitude. 
yeah, yeah. Oh god, if only so many more would have survived if it had been draconian. <laughs> so so draconian compared to Bellator. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although in fairness, my 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 um my views on prison are quite draconian compared to Bellator. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it's 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 a great, great, great fight. Um, and um, I think probably of all the fights that um we've um we've covered so far, even the the Jackson Vanderlei one, this is probably the most technically interesting. Um, yeah, I I think so. Through. It's um yeah, there's some really interesting passages, and also in terms of the ebb and flow of the action and the sort of pacing of it and the tactics, oh, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, they really are so even in this for most of this. Yeah, I mean, who gets the win for the judges, which seems fair enough based on uh, based on the action we've seen and the the action that I, might have leaked into yeah. David's eyes while he was plotting his um, his World yeah. Cup winning uh, Brazilian <laughs> MMA team. Yeah, I I, I did score this myself um, as I was um, I, I, as I watched it because I was aware of how close it was, you know, and and, and the result. And I think I can see why they gave it to Hua. Yeah, um, but it, but there were. It wasn't as if I came out of this, and I have already watched it before, you know, so there was things that I didn't notice the first time. It wasn't like I came out of this thinking, uh, you know, that um, that it was incredibly quick, any, any more clear cut than I thought it was the first time I watched it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I just about had Hua, but it's close. Um, it, also, fun fact about Mauricio Shogun Hua, he's the only MMA fighter ever to be referenced in a song by Edwin Starr. Very Isn't good. That true? Of course. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> For fuck's sake! I was really, what really hoping it was actually a song that he'd written that was just called like the Shogun or something, and it was like a ballad, like you know, like the Hurricane by Bob Dylan. It'd be like a kind of ballad of injustice, like like, like Stephen Quadris's um, Stephen Quadris's nineties output. Quad- yeah. Quadrants. What are they called again? Side boom. Side. <laughs> there was a um, there was a uh, folk band at my college who, uh, yeah, I know, but stay with me. They um, they did a version of Hurricane, which was uh, called John McCain, and it was like two days after he had lost the two thousand and eight uh, presidential election. And just like, as long as it wasn't two days after he got out of that Vietnamese prison, because that would have been uh, <laughs> that would have been very sensitive. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I I can't remember whether we referenced it to that or not. It was over a decade ago. I'll uh, have to check. So uh, well, much like I watched it the first time I watched this match when we originally were going to record this episode <laughs> over a decade ago. Over a decade ago, in 1963, <laughs> time has ravaged your once youthful looks. Yeah. Um. So um. Our, I mean. That is it for uh, the Pride Fights that we're talking about. We do have a super bonus round uh, for oh, you. However, you now... Oh, yeah. boy. boy <laughs> You've done it now. <laughs> You've got to make a big mistake by listening to this episode. Um, so, um, we can say that about all of them, to be fair. Um, so, when we were planning this episode, like this is one of the... Um, I think when we started the podcast, we have like all these ideas, like some of which you haven't even fucking uh, done yet. All of these ideas for themes, and one of them was, hey, now we've done New Japan UWFI, we should do a bit of pride. And then we're like, okay, what fights do we do? I, I deferred to Daniel and David um, on them because um, I'm not a you know a huge MMA expert, as you might be able to tell uh, from my constant misuse of the terminology. Um, and um, but there was one fight we all agreed. Um, that we had to do and then we found out it was actually a k1 fight and uh, then we thought fuck it we're going to do it anyway because in terms of not 
MMA, but uh, combat sports in Japan. This is a, uh, a touchstone, not because it's a, a good fight, but just for its impact on uh, Japanese uh, popular culture. So this is, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this is the fight. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that this does kind of tie into Pride, to be fair, and uh, A, is batshit mental, and um, B, this is another one of our um, great uh, bloody combat sport hootenannies, because this is on the 31st of December 2003, uh, where this happened. Now, uh, Interestingly, um, this wasn't the only thing going on the 31st of December 2003. I was not um, attracting a girlfriend. Um, I was doing many things. Um, I was actually I was watching Chewing the Fat on BBC One um, and amongst <laughs> other things. But um, in Japan, this was pro- I, I I would probably go and say that this was the maddest week and probably the greatest week in the history of combat sports in Japan because what you've got here is you have on the 31st of December you've got this oh, K1 yeah. Dynamite show so it's K1 Dynamite 2003 um, and then as well Antonio Inoki um, decided he had signed a deal with Nippon TV to start his own shoot company <laughs> So, oh shit! Was this uh, an OK Bombay? This was an OK Bombay. It was it was this this time. Uh, so they announced at the same time as K1 and Pride, just to piss in Anoki's chips, decided that they were going to run a show as well. So um, they actually ran a show at the same time as well. So on the 31st of December, you had an OK Bombay. Um, famously, a year to the day after Anoki blew into um, the Tokyo National Stadium on one of those giant fan parachute things. He was the fan man uh, <laughs> on the Pride event the year before. But, um, yeah, like that, that, there's so, I, I think there's such a book to be um, written about this 31st of December 2003 because the, just the, the internal politics of Pride basically loading their show with every like conceivable name you could think of, like Sakuraba, Tamura... Um, Hoist Gracie, Don Fry, Quentin Jackson, they had Pancrase, they had Shuto Guys. Mumford and uh, Sons, uh, yeah. you know, um, Hard Pie. turned up at one point. Um, <laughs> as well as that, not only were they content with um, booking everyone, but the people they didn't book, um, they decided that they weren't going to let in OK use. So, for example, Crow Cop, um, Big Nog, uh, Fedor. We're all independent contract independent contractors and Pride specifically embargoed them from being on the Inoki show just basically to sync it. Uh, but well, it's three concurrent shows on the same day. Um that were all mad. So I mean I think I think this this specific K one show is one of the biggest in Japanese history. Up there were like Inoki Ali and like the Ricky Dozen yeah, yeah. fights. I mean, this isn't the first time that Pride uh, trying to stop Fedor from working uh, somewhere else would uh, come back to bite them in the ass. We'll talk about that um, uh, at the end of the episode. Um, but um, the participants, uh, the combatants, if you will, in this uh, in this fight. So um, we, I'm trying to think because usually I, I like try to lead with the least interesting one, and then like it's like High and Gracie, blah blah blah, and Yoji and Joe. So I try and build up to it. I'm genuinely not sure which order to announce these two guys in because the presence in there in this match is equally um, ridiculous and fantastic oh, for yeah, both like, of them. They, they um, both have like high meme value for us because 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, let Let's start with the. Uh, no, I, I think I, I think I can do it. Let's let's start with um, let's start with the guy who actually had done some MMA fights before <laughs> before this one, or some uh, some kickboxing before this one. So well, they. Um, yeah. Um, I think when when we're we're doing this, um, we need to say his name properly. So, okay. Okay. One, two, three. Bob, Bob Sapp, please. Please. <laughs> We kind of all did this. I'm quite impressed we managed to do it in the same key, like, roughly. That's, uh... I tried my best. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> ma, 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 so, it's our, uh, it's, uh, it's our uh, musical training uh, coming to the fourth there. So, Get yeah. Get back in my gun regime, island, baby. Fucking hell. out of here, we're... Oh, <laughs> That was uh, that, that's that's not that's I, I shouldn't be laughing this hard with my like fucked up uh, like my fucked up chest cartilage. Um, my insides are all wrong. Um, yeah, so okay, Bob Bob Sapp. So uh, four and three uh, professional kickboxing record. Bob Sapp is a former American football player who uh, said that he uh, fought and I quote NFL style. Now, um, Bob Sapp is a um, noted... So he's basically just Dr. Destiny Williams. Right? Yeah, but he, but he basically is only without the uh, technical skill or, like, any of the uh, of the good facets of... Crippling uh, <laughs> drug addiction. Yeah, like, so Bob Sapp is, is known in uh, Japan uh, as a, is, is a uh, boxer, kickboxer, uh, MMA fighter, and pro wrestler. He is terrible at all of these things. However, the man has charisma coming out of his ass. Oh, oh um, yeah. yeah. Like the, 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 this guy, he's he's a he's a larger than life character who I think rather cannily played into sort of uh, what fairly widely held Japanese stereotypes of of black people as uh, somewhat animalistic. Um, uh, you know the the, the big scary yeah, dude, and he quite he played up to that. I, I I think so. It's kind of uh, I think a guy who saw an opening and uh, ploughed straight into it. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, he became a sort of um, uh, pop culture icon in Japan, largely off the back of uh, this match. He had like done some kickboxing and some MMA, and he was really just like a a big muscle guy who they brought in. And like, I mean, he has some wins on his record, but primarily because he outweighed his opponents by like upwards of a hundred pounds in, um, in, uh, in these cases. And uh, he even had a uh, hit single, which I'm, I'm sure we can all uh, recite in, uh, in our sleep. And uh, when we get to our episode on uh, novelty uh, songs uh, yeah. done by uh, people in, uh, in Puro, which believe it or not is coming <laughs> fairly soon. Um, you didn't think he could do it, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to beat you up. Um, <laughs> up in your FM dial. <laughs> it's, it is amazing. Also, also a man who really got into the pageantry of like, there's a particular, um, entrance from pride. I, uh, saw where he, uh, came out like in a fucking huge white feather boa doing a uh, choreographed uh, well, dance routine speaking of threads um, uh, uh, and, and and what people are wearing um i can't remember whether it's actually uh, i didn't I, I didn't note this the, the distinction i can't remember whether it's actually for this match or if it's a clip that's shown in the video footage that i had of this match of highlights before it but can we talk about how bob sap is channeling um probably the greatest character in the entire um, history of wrestling, and certainly in this particular worker's uh, uh, career, which is um, the great and powerful Oz. <laughs> uh, you may know him as Vinny Vegas. 
Uh, I, however, <laughs> remember him chiefly as the great and powerful Oz. Um, <laughs> oh, God. That's, you know what? My... I, I, um, I zoned out for a minute and, didn't, and then just came back when you were talking about Oz. And I'm like, well, how did we get onto why, Oz? Why, why are we talking the... about Oz Clark? Say, say, saying Kevin Nash is primarily known as Vinny Vegas, that's, that's my favourite like genre of joke. Like I do this all the time when they're like, oh, oh uh, Paul Weller from the Style yeah. Council. Yeah, the only band the Beatles could have been. So, so on one, on one hand, we've got uh, Bob Sapp. And uh, on the other hand, with a uh, kickboxing record of oh. zero wins and oh, zero losses, this is his Barely debut. Because he's not able to kick above his <sighs> fucking so knee. Yeah, for reasons that will become abundantly clear when I tell you that this man was the um, former uh, sumo yokozuna uh, Akabono of um, WrestleMania 21 fame, if you remember that. Yes, a classic of the genre. Um, I mean, he's no he's no Hiroki Sumi, but we have to uh, we have to uh, uh, make do. So uh, Akabono um, is the uh, born uh, Chad Rowan in uh, Honolulu in Hawaii, um, the first ever foreign born uh, Yokozuna in the history of, of of sumo wrestling. Nowadays, I don't, I don't understand yeah. what you mean, George. He was born in Japan after young the erotic terrorist was misted and he hatched out of an right. egg. <laughs> oh fucking hell! I forgot. I've I completely forget. forgotten about that. Yeah. Okay. Akabono was the original adult baby in, uh, in and he'll uh, be appearing on Neville Southall's Twitter one. account next week oh what <laughs> fuck like the moment's gone why didn't I make that joke at the time I was, I was fucking going to make it as well oh. god damn it pretty um, quick off the so, draw um, so yeah, I mean nowadays in Sumo a lot of the top fighters I think the last few Yokozuna have been uh, Mongolian yeah but, I think um, they are he was quite a um, a trailblazer in uh, in terms of being the first um, foreign-born Yokozuna. It was notoriously difficult for foreign sumo to um, attain these ranks because uh, becoming um, a Yokozuna and or an uh, I guess Ozeki is the uh, the second uh, highest rank. Um, it was it's not those highest two ranks in sumo are not just to do with your results. They're to do with a lot of fairly intangible factors such as how you comport yourself and there's a lot lot of um, uh, you know, viewpoints in sumo that this is this kind of dignity and gravitas is only something that Japanese fighters can um, can attain. Which, this was which uh, in no way plays reason. into the definitely so, not at all racist self-image of a certain section of Japanese society. <laughs> yes, yes, in, yes, indeed. Um, uh, I mean, this was supposedly one of the reasons that Rikido Ozan yeah. uh, quit sumo because he was Korean-born. Spoiler alert <laughs> for the novel, and um, and he we went off in a huff because he thought they wouldn't. He had a pretty good record, and they he thought it was made him worthy of a higher rank, and they wouldn't allow him uh, because he was Korean. So uh, Akabono, uh, quite a uh, uh, trailblazer, also the uh, heaviest yokozuna of all time at the um, at the time. Was like, think of the fucking field you're. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, amongst. Yeah, I mean, I mean, by in, definition, uh, in, in that uh, regard, yeah, we're looking at some big lads. Yeah, it's like, indeed. Um, so um, you might wonder why did Akabono uh, get into uh, into kickboxing? Uh, well, it's because he had um, opened a restaurant and they got into quite a lot of debt uh, from it, and so um, thinking, okay, well. He couldn't do sumo anymore. He'd had to withdraw from his last few tournaments uh, due to injury. His, his, his body wasn't uh, really up to the rigours of a fucking like full-on 15-fight uh, sumo basho anymore. So I think, OK, what can I do? Well, um, K1 will book any old cunt. 
So um, <laughs> I think I'll do that. He ended up um, now to say Akabono had little success in the world of combat sports. Uh, he was uh, nicknamed uh, Makabono, uh, Make being Japanese for to lose. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's a bit of a sad spectacle, but a um, a spectacle that drew fifty four million TV viewers uh, in Japan. Yeah, like, it got a forty two uh, rating. Let's put it that into perspective right the japanese new year like i don't know if you have you have in england but certainly like in scotland they have like the this the 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 state the statemently um new year show the hogmanay show where everyone yeah. watches it's just default tv on the new year's so you just watch jackie bird and whoever and phil and ally playing some fucking fiddle tunes that nobody cares about um everyone watches it out of habit it's like you know uh, and it's the same in japan they'll have you know like big Shows you get Dick Clark in the U- in the US. Uh, he used to do Dick Clark uh, live. Was it Dick Clark in New York? And he used to have like the ball going in at Times Square and everything. Yeah, that yeah. as well. Yeah, so, um, traditional stuff. Japan had one right, and in Japan, uh, I think theirs is called. Let's see, uh, the Kohaku Special on NHK, which is the Japanese equivalent of BBC. It's their public broadcaster. It's got a thirty-nine rating, right? Um. Bob Sapp Nakabono got a 43 rating. <laughs> so I, the actual goddamn New Year show that everyone is like instinctively just sticks on. It's like they you know the Japanese Hootenanny and it's been outperformed by Bob Sapp Nakabono. That's how massive this fucking match was. Yeah, like, I mean, in terms of 54 million viewers, you're getting up towards the um, sort of levels that uh, you were getting for Ricky Dozan's matches um, towards the end of the, his career when. Uh, uh, TV ownership was um, uh, much more prevalent. I mean, his his match against uh, the Destroyer in 1963 had an average uh, rating of about uh, 63 yeah. million viewers, and yeah. like this was a huge pop culture event. And uh, you know, Japan's population in 2003 was really hugely different from what it had been 40 years prior. We all know about the um, uh, the low birth rate. I mean, Samira Natsu in Stardom is. Uh, uh, you know, do, doing her best to alleviate that. That's that's actually her gimmick. She's appointed as herself minister in charge of the low birth rate, which is uh, uh, very very on brand for her. As is her entrance theme, the greatest song of all time, Mr. Saxo Beat. Um, so... I mean, to put it into perspective, right, fifty four million is just under the amount of Celtic fans that are in the stadium for the UEFA Cup final in two thousand three. <laughs> Um, so, according it's to true. everyone, it's if you true. Ask or me. every single person that was definitely there at the opening night of the Hacienda. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the Sex Pistols' first gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, so yeah, this this was this was absolutely huge. Um, not not a great advert for uh, kickboxing or like a physical endeavor in human beings in general. But um, uh, I mean, we've we've got we get the entrances. Let's go. Let's uh, start with that. So um, Bob Sapp has uh, got an amazing uh, green robe again. You know, always uh, dressed to impress. Akabono has got a sort of Pat Butcher haircut. <laughs> um, uh, going on. Sadly, he doesn't have the gigantic oh. pearl earrings. It must have left him in the back by accident. A giant rolling pin. But you could argue away. that his life has been beset by much more tragedy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you can, can't you? Um, the the best part is when they give the weights of the uh, um, of competitors. Uh, Bob Sapp weighs uh, 153 kilograms. Mm-hmm. He's a big boy. Uh, yeah, by, chunk, far, yeah. Yeah, by, by far outweighed by his opponent. 
Um, so yeah, this is going to be a uh, going to be a human conquers, as uh, D- David so wonderfully uh, put it <laughs> in uh, an earlier episode. Um, so uh, yeah, here's the fight. So it's a K1 rule, not Pride rule. So there's there's going to be uh, less in the way of uh, grappling and more in the uh, way of uh, of strikes, which is a shame because neither of these lads are particularly good <laughs> at them. Although um, I, I, it always makes you yearn for sort of Akabono to pull a Manny Yabo and just try to jaws the man um, <laughs> in, into his gaping maw. <laughs> but but enough about people's gaping maws. Um, um, so uh, mostly shoving. Uh, by uh, Akabono, which to be fair is like a le- legit uh, sumo technique, and is it is it is sumo style? Yeah, yep. he's, he's, pre- he's tapping green as Eddie Honger on the SNES at the moment, <laughs> and uh, he does pretty well pushing Sap into the corner and lands a few uh, shots. Uh, it seems that Sap's uh, struggling. Uh, starts on the leg kicks. Um, Please some... give his correct name, Mister Sapsobe. <laughs> Fucking hell! Ah, uh, if. If I ever win the lottery, I'm commissioning that. <laughs> Alexander Stanley needs the money. It's like, uh, and I presume Bob Sapp does as well. Um, <laughs> so um, a- Akabono does some um, uh, corner shoving and um, Bob Sapp uh, gets some punches to the head off on uh, Akabono and then some more. Akabono is staggering forward, uh, still like a reanimated corpse. Um, and with oh, the He's a bus couch after about two minutes. It's it's hilarious. I, I tell you who I tell you who I really feel sorry for here. My absolute star of the show here. Akabono's unimpressed wife. Yes. Is his his wife is about as angry as my wife because I told her she's going to finish by half nine. Hey. So. Uh, Akabono was trained. Uh, he, he did actually have some training. In anyway, he was trained by uh, Satoru Sayama. Um, right. Tiger Mask. Now, I would, I would, I would uh, put it to you that um, maybe if you're getting trained in uh, MMA, you know, get Sayama in by all, all means. But as far as I know, the man w- was not an MMA fighter. He was a shoot star wrestler who fancied himself as. I'm sure he's good at MMA. I mean, whatever Sayama was doing with Akabono, clearly, uh, yeah, um, yeah, whatever, yeah, get a catch wrestler in for kickboxing. To train, you're probably not the best idea. Um, Akabono is um, uh, down after a few more punches, gets to his uh, gets to his feet. Um, Sap with more punches than he basically does a matador thing, um, and uh, Akabono falls over. I will give Sap a modicum of credit here, a modicum of credit because he sees that um, Akabono is pretty much done for, and. He starts circling him and he does like kidney and stomach. Like he goes for the kidneys and the stomach. Now, I mean, against Akabono, probably not the wisest idea to be punching in the kidney and stomach because there's a lot of pad in there. But yes, he, he was circling. He, you know, he was circling the wagons. Um, the vulture was swooping. It, yeah. it was all there. Fair play to him for actually showing some semblance yeah, of a fucking true. fighting yeah. style. Yeah. Um, so uh, Akabono falls flat on his fucking face. Oh, it's um, it's so brutal. Gets up and then just ends up and then ends up getting knocked out. He just oh, flare flops like it's. Uh, he yeah, is it's absolutely Sparko. He's gone. Oh, he he looks like a beached whale. Are you just trying to fit in another whaling pun? We are whaling. We are whaling. Fucking hell. 
but yeah, the, the forward flop is just, it's that's, again, just to, re- to reference my former coach again. He once said to me after a particularly vicious knockout we'd watched the night before in a UFC fight, he once said to me, you know, uh, that's when I really worry. It's when I see a fighter that just doesn't fall backwards, but just, it's just it's like straight, you know, like uh, American, like 1950s comic strip, just. <laughs> yeah, like, um, it's, is was was this grimmer than the Ojianjo fight? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. The, the... It's not, um, stunningly, they had a rematch in Ryzen, and they I did. enjoyed it a lot, lot more than this. I actually enjoyed that match. It was, it, it was really, it was punctured by like a ton of blood stoppages, and it kind of gave it an air of danger. Whereas if this, you're just like, this is sad. This is very if, sad. If you're getting taken to the woodshed by Bob fucking Sap, then um, uh, Bob Sap. Um, uh, let me see when his last fight was. Like it's quite recent. It was against Sushi and Ian. That's six man. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I showed Sarah that that match. Um, yeah, upset her, didn't it? It really upset her because I I I basically showed her it because I was like, okay, well, he's Bob Sap and Anita. And it's um, and it had Jackie Yokota and Archie Kong in it, and she and uh, but but the the best workers in that match have a combined age of like a hundred, um, and uh, they had like fucking Taru and uh, uh, another and uh, the wrong guy. No, no, strangely it wasn't. It was a Shogun Okamoto and Taru, so another nice. fucking allegedly, and um, uh, so um, yeah, not great. Uh, let me see. Um, Ah, uh, here we go. Kickboxing record, 12 and 19. Now, <laughs> most recent one in uh, Izmir in Turkey, um, January oh, the 27th, 2018, was uh, <laughs> Bob Tapp's last uh, kickboxing fight, his um, uh, MMA uh, career. It wasn't for glory, was it? No, it wasn't for glory. It was some, uh, oh, some weird... The, the fighting capital of the world, Izmir, Turkey. Yeah, some fucking Erdogan front. Like, um... And uh, Bob Sapp has uh, lost his last um, 14 MMA fights, <laughs> a run that stretches from uh, March the 11th, 2011, mercifully ending on the 2nd of July, uh, 26. It includes um, um, yeah, 12 first round losses, um, including uh, 12 second loss via punches, a um, 40 second loss via punches, a 36 second loss via punches. Um, 35 second loss via rear naked choke in a promotion called Ox MMA. It's as if it's it's as if that like nobody's told him that people punching MMA comes in every time. Right. And he's like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 hold on, wait a minute, I didn't know we were doing punching, and every single time he keeps forgetting that. So um, he, the the uh, role of dishonor of people that uh, beat him include uh, um, uh, Alexander, the Amelia Lenko we don't talk about. Um, uh, Alexander Otzka. Yeah, the great Alexander Otzka, fantastic worker. And in uh, for one fighting championship in Jakarta in Indonesia, uh, Hollis Gracie. Hey. Um, he has also lost a fight to Bobby Lashley. <laughs> I, th- I think all, I think and, anyone um, who's been watching Raw over the past few months has lost their own personal struggle against Bobby Lashley in a way. <laughs> He has also, um, what, sorry, one more. He has also lost to a guy called Stav Economu, who is uh, not a not a big name, but um, is um, uh, w- went to school with someone I know. 
<laughs> I was, he was the guy. Guy I went to school with the housemate of my best mate from school, and uh, me and my my best mate have been playing a bit of uh, UFC. And uh, I told him about Bob Tap, and I showed him the music video. And uh, and then I got a text from him a few days later. Like, have you heard of a guy called Stav Economy? I was like, no, I haven't. Why? He was like, oh, because uh, my, my housemate Jonathan went to school with him. He's um, uh, and he. Do you know who this who uh, Stav's beaten in an MMA fight? I was like. Okay, well, Dan only knows two MMA fighters, and one of them's Brock Lesnar. It won't be him. I was like, was it Bob Sapp? Like, it was Bob Sapp! I mean, uh, as well as this, one of my favourite things about this um, at the end is that um, Mike Tyson is in the audience, and they show him oh, in the God. screen. They show him in the big screen, and uh, Bob Sapp uh, says, and I quote, Tyson, you're next. Oh, God, it's like... Um... Fucking hell! They, they tried to. They, I, I don't know if they did have a fight. They, I think they did because I seem to remember, like Bob Sapp versus Mike Tyson. I'm looking this up because, um, I seem to remember a YouTube video of this, but I can't remember what actually happens in it. Winner gets to fight uh, Secretariat. In international waters. <laughs> they were so drunk. Sealand uh, will have none of this. Sealand. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think they had a scrap, as in like they just had like a a bad sports entertainment scrap outside a ring at some point. But oh, Stab Economy, according to Wikipedia, also fought uh, Thiago Silva, uh, not the footballer, the uh, UFC fighter, no. and uh, no, fight. uh, took took him the distance. That's pretty impressive. That's not bad. It's yeah. not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Stab Economy, everybody. Um. So. Um, yeah, that's basically... Is that not type? Of, is that not type of cheese that uh, Little do? <laughs> I mean, I'd fucking buy it because little, little, Little's great. Like, I ah, mean, I mean, the, 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 the horse lasagna is. Um, I, I wouldn't say nay to it. To die for. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, so um, that just about does it. There's just about enough time to uh, go into uh, what's happened to Pride. Uh, in the end, I don't know if we touched on it back in episode 13, but basically, uh, Pride, it may shock you to know, was a front for some, <laughs> was a front for some legitimate businessmen, it turned out. And the way we found out, we all found out about this um, is that um, uh, basically there some other uh, legitimate businessmen set up a rival uh, MMA promotion and tried to sign Fedor Emelianenko, you might remember from episode 14, and... Um, uh, prize legitimate businessmen were like hang on we're not having this and so they basically sent some boys round uh, to try and put the fighters on him um, goons hire <laughs> goons <laughs> trying to put the fighters on, fighters on uh, Fedor Emelianenko is uh, you know a, a fool's errand at the best of times anyway this got some media traction and people found out that um, uh, Pride was a front for the Yakuza its reputation um, uh, never recovered because although in uh, you know I think there's a sort of tacit acceptance that the mob have got their fingers in uh, a lot of pies in uh, in Japan. Um, it's it's basically sort of uh, tolerated until it like it's staring you in your face and you can't deny it anymore. That's basically what happened to Pride. It soldiered on for a couple of um, a couple of years and then closed its doors and was uh, bought by UFC. And you can um, play Pride uh, content in uh, the UFC video games. You can play with the uh, Pride ring and the rules and uh, the ring announcer and some of the famous Pride fighters. Yeah. So it's um, his legacy lives on. 
Uh, hilariously, uh, when UFC bought Pride, uh, they bought it with the intention of keeping it running until they realised that every single contract they have was highly illegal <laughs> and was not fit for purpose. And they literally had no one under contract and had bought like a fucking. They basically bought Lynn Hart. That's what they bought. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, let's be honest. If, if you were going to buy a company and that was all it had left, I would still think that would be a major asset. <laughs> I'd, I'd take it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was also actually, I think, um, Shane McMahon was trying to persuade Vince to buy Pride at one point. Oh, I think this can you imagine? Like, um, That's like a supercharged version of all those Vince's buying insert X's name of X football club here uh, stories. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but oh, Alan Sheeter turning up as general manager of Pride FC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Walk, I'm headlining a uh, Pride Shockwave. Uh, Alan, Alan, Alan Shearer there, like fucking uh, Kurt Angle misses a moonshot. I tell you what, he's got the target from there. <laughs> uh, just everyone chatting at Yoji Andrew you should have stayed in the wrestling <laughs> um, so um, Yoji Andrew seems uh, an appropriate uh, note to end on talking about the uh, demise of Pride so there you have it we've uh, done our three episode retrospective of the uh, Pride Fighting Championship and we, we hope we've managed um, across these episodes to give you a sense of what the promotion was all about give you a uh, signpost to some uh, some classic matches and some absolute cack as well. But watch the cack because that is a fundamental part. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. Pride genuinely was the best and the blurst of times. Like it's, um, it, it's, it's just got, it's just got so many layers to it. Like the, um, the evolution of the company from this uh, spectacle and the, the razzmatazz and the freak show fight to sort of gradually phasing those out and becoming a, you know, pretty well respected, um, MMA promotion, the evolution of the rules, uh, them realizing what worked and what didn't, um, you know, and a lot of like um, really well-known fighters from UFC, some of whom are still fighting today, got their start in Pride. You know, go back if you want to see what some of your favourites were uh, doing early in their career. They probably had some fights in Pride. So um, didn't Hua I mean, and Nogueira have a fight in UFC? They had a rematch in UFC, or am I thinking of the other one we watched? Yeah, that's, I think that happened. Yeah, yes, they, they did it all the time sure when they have like Pride rematches. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they did the same with uh, Jackson and um, and Vanderlei. Yeah, well. yeah, they did that as well. And enough. it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's the one I'm thinking of. I might be wrong. Though. So, um, yeah, um, th- there you have it. Um, as, um, as far as what we're going to do for uh, episode 16, you'll be uh, pleased and possibly astonished to learn that we are going to going back to talking about professional wrestling on the uh, Funnily enough, podcast. First, the last time we had an episode of all three of us discussing professional wrestling was released in September. Uh, <laughs> wow, so fuck. Uh, and it'll be September by the time this is released, I assume. Uh, 24th of August today, just for the uh, ease of... Uh, of uh, Just for uh, transparency's sake. Second of February. and invasive amongst you. <laughs> <laughs> just for the Hansard record. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so what we're doing for episode 16, we are going to embark upon a two-parter. I say two-parter, you know, who knows how many parts it's going to end up being. But our, our intention, we're going to talk about, um, you know, one of the ideas we have was to talk about um, Japanese wrestlers in Britain, Japanese wrestlers in the American territories and so on. What we're going to do is talk about uh, uh, Gaijin 
in uh, Japan. Mm. But we're not talking your uh, we're not talking your gaijin um, who are primarily famous for uh, working in Japan. We're not talking about your Steve Williamses. We are talking about Hulkamania era WWF guys in Japanese promotions. We're talking Macho Man Randy Savage, Andre the Giant, Bret the Hitman Hart. Uh, God help me, we are even talking about Kamala and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, and uh, above all, we are talking about that stark racist talkster brother. Uh, I'm so looking forward to this. I cannot fucking wait. I've been looking forward to this for uh, so goddamn long. Yeah, we're going to range across um, uh, almost a couple of decades of uh, matches across a variety of uh, wrestling promotions and trying to cover all the big names uh, from uh, the Hulkamania era WWF and their uh, escapades uh, in Japan. So, like, we're really excited about that. Uh, We hope uh, you will... B2 and all and uh, all things being well, we're going to uh, record it uh, tomorrow night in uh, Pura Puriga chronology. Uh, yeah, we yeah, we, yeah. we uh, operate outside different uh, time rules to you uh, uh, mortals. Um, I'm, we... I'm still on the Gregorian. <laughs> oh, back to this fucking uh, debate we were having on Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole China behavioral thing. That was pretty good. Because yeah, um, we, we have very up-to-date topical debates between each other. It's about the validity <laughs> or the lack thereof of the Gregorian calendar, um, which is not a debate which has been put to bed many, many years ago. No, no, no not in the slightest. So, All uh, I know is I'll be deep in the cold, cold ground before I recognise Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm yeah. going to incorporate. So, uh, before we go, um, uh, plugs. Um, so, uh, podcast-specific plugs. You can uh, find us on uh, Twitter, Puro Puro Podcast. Uh, don't go on our Facebook page. We never update it. It's terrible. Um, SoundCloud, um, you can find the Puro Puro Podcast. Um, and uh, if you want to go to uh, I maintain the double foot stompy silly dot com, um, you can find um, wrestling content written by ourselves and uh, also uh, members of uh, the collective known as I maintain the double foot stompy silly. Um, our, our friend uh, Luke at uh, Oyster Earrings on uh, Twitter is. Uh, Recently did a very nice uh, preview of the big uh, Tokyo Joshi Korokan Hall show, which will definitely have happened by the time this is uh, released. But if you want to read a preview of something that has uh, um, happened in the past, uh, then, uh, yeah, fucking uh, have at it. There's some uh, good stuff on the website. And um, I, I'll plug I'll plug my book when I fucking finish it. Um, it's like it's like some Finnegan's Wake shit. Um, and will probably be just as comprehensible. So, uh, guys, what would you like to plug? <laughs> Um, yeah, um, I don't have like loads to plug, but just the usual. Um, you can get me on Twitter at the Ultimate Poo. Um, <laughs> I love uh, that we can say that now. You're on Twitter and you've chosen the most ridiculous and best possible <laughs> handle. Yeah, I I may have chosen that handle when I was lurking on Twitter and not intending to post. Um, they can't but, get uh, enough it, of it. Fucking no, no, it. no. Well, I'm 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 trying to use it more now because I kind of um. I felt like I was like really out of the loop um, by not using it, especially for like wrestling reviews and stuff. Um, so I decided to actually start trying to use it because if you've got it, I suppose you should use it to its fullest potential. So if you do want to get me there now, you can get me there. And um, yeah, I've only just started using it, but I am trying to post regularly now and I will mostly post about wrestling anyway. So yeah, uh, get me at the ultimate poo through there. You will find um, a link to be able to buy my music and my record labels music to help me make money. Um, that would be really appreciated at the moment, to be honest, because I'm not going to get a proper wage until the end of not next month, the month after. Uh, so that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> fun, fun. Um, I suppose I should maybe plug something. Um, you, you, I, as ever, you can uh, buy my shitty noise interpretations of the four pillars themes 
uh, fastbuck.bandcamp.com. I'm also doing a split with my coffee machine and work um, because it's it's fucked and I, I, I just recorded it and not putting a split out of it. Um, download that if you want. I don't know why you would. Um, maybe you really like coffee. Maybe I really like coffee. I don't even like coffee, to be honest. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to plug um, at Puro World. Now, we are not involved, um, but it's a guy who liked us and... Oh, yeah, I saw this. This is great. He posted a tweet. Um, well done at BT Sport Football. Finding five people who appear to care about Scottish football. And it's a picture of, like, five commentators at Fur Hill. Now, I've consulted with our lawyers, right? Um, <laughs> a pure a account discussing Scottish football is copyright theft. Um, so we will see you in court, Pure World. But uh, keep on keeping on. <laughs> And follow him, because it would be quite funny if everyone just followed him and they didn't know why. Yeah, I think that's us. I should probably go. Yeah, well, um, well, actually, uh, one more little uh, thing, not not a plug, as a uh, a little little treat for you all. So, um, um, I mean, you that's you a may... strong, strong claim. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, to, to play you out, usually we uh, um, give you um, Integral Hard, which is the uh, wonderfully named uh, entrance music of the, the Great Sasuke. And it's an absolute banger, one of the best entrance themes of all time. Um, but uh, instead, in honour of the end of our um, our Pride retrospective, um, uh, I have um, composed and um, recorded a, a song uh, for you all about one of our, uh, our particular favourites in the Pride Fighting Championship. So um, to play you out... Um, I have been uh, George George Thompson, and uh, thank you very much to um, David Forrest and uh, Daniel for their uh, for their efforts on this podcast behalf today. And uh, yes, to play you out, here is my song about one of our favourites. Adios.
in store. So I got down on my knees. Then I knee-barred Joji and he knee-barred me. Well, he came out the dojo with a blood-colored nose. His eyes were swollen and his ears looked like those of Van Gogh. Wrestlers will be wrestlers and fighters will be fighters And people like me will be shitty songwriters My Anjo A-N-J-O Anjo A-N-J-O Anjo Well I started crying and he cried hard And he said what am I gonna tell Mr. Takata So I hold him tight Said you could always do a co-promotion with New Japan Well, I'm not the world's biggest Joshu stan But if he books Joshi right, then I'll be his fan Oh my, Anjo A-N-J-O, Anjo A-N-J-O, Anjo Anjo A-N-J-O, Anjo A-N-J-O, Anjo Yeah, yeah, I've got a wave. I'm riding the wave. I've Ali. got I've got a wave. <laughs> <laughs> Waves for days. Um, yeah, medium-sized Joshi promotions for days. Well, yeah, soon to be defunct uh, Joshi promotions for uh, uh, for days. For, for for Luke, for Luke, and the three other people in the world that care. <laughs> like, that so. is true. Have, having said that, they put put their title on a trans person. He's a very good wrestler. So that's. Uh, so nice. that's uh, that's very progressive for Japan <laughs> in particular. I think I think if we did an episode on Joshi with um, Sarah, Luke, uh, Jackson, and Bear, we would actually would have every single person in Joshi <laughs> on the show, <laughs> and three other people who yeah. don't care. No, and loads of like, no, like Japanese middle-aged blokes. Yeah, yeah, every every person who's into Joshi who's not on the sex offenders <laughs> register, as far as we know. Yeah. As yeah. Virtual Pros once said, it's the only people um, into Joshi who don't discuss the Joshi wrestlers as if they are yeah. horses. <laughs> <laughs> A fine young filly. Yeah, p- p- people <laughs> like um, Rossi, actually, it's technically a Febophilia Agawa. <laughs> Rossi, Rossi, I need you, I need you. <laughs> some sort of crossover with it, where it's a, a programme called Rossi Abbott. Um, and it's just, it's just Ross Abbott sketches reinterpreted by Rossi in his roster of um, oh what women. an atmosphere I love a party <laughs> with a feel good atmosphere oh Ross Abbott <laughs> uh, that that would be I mean we we should do it and at the same time we definitely no, shouldn't because no. like last time we tried to discuss um last time we tried to discuss discuss Stardom on this podcast it took us. It took us two hours to review four matches and then we lost the audio. <laughs> oh a cursed promotion yeah. if I've ever fucking seen one. Yeah. Oh, oh did, did you see that uh, Brother Mort met that uh, guy in the URL Reds uh, shirt who's always going, Yo! <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he's a nice bloke. Um, <laughs> Not a creepy uh, paedophile at all. I never, I never had uh, any Brother Mort also broke his VL on DDT Universe with Dan Chocodino. <laughs> Yes, yeah, he, he did. He got a full-on nip 
from Dan Shoko Dino <laughs> on a yeah, DVD he got, show. He got kissed by Dino and he got his ass waggled in his face as well. <laughs> like the guy's living his best life. And he is, uh, yeah. It's what we all aspire uh, yeah. to. Um, right. That's cool. Oh, David, is okay. your cam- camera uh, um, operational? My hair's all over the place, to be fair. <laughs> I need to get That's fine. My, I haven't showered for fucking three days, so like you... I'm, li- I'm literally in bed. I'm in bed as well. <laughs> I'm not wearing trousers. Like, I'm, I'm it's... Uh, <laughs> observe. Neither. <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> So it's okay, it's good. It's before it's before the episodes. Well, we just get Luke to come in and just play replace George after his <laughs> sex scandal, status scandal well, yeah. update. Well, we started by talking about people on the sex offenders register, and now George <laughs> I've been hoisted by my own petard. Certainly on my own private sex offenders <laughs> register. I mean, this okay. is recording. This is recording. Oh, good, good. That's, that's, <laughs> that is just fucking fantastic. Okay, should we do the intro? Mine's um my, my body's fucking up on me at the uh, moment actually. I had a, a doctor's appointment uh, this afternoon because I've been getting these um uh, chest pains. As I like, okay, I know I know I don't lead the healthiest lifestyle, but uh, come the fuck on. And um, so so basically, I got diagnosed with something called uh, costochronditis, which is a, oh. a inflammation of the like cartilage between your like the ribs in your chest cavity, which wow. is uh, kind of painful. And basically, you just got a um, ride it out until it stops uh, being inflamed so like um you know p- bottle of jollop yeah i mean like mm. so on on one hand boo <laughs> in incurable inflammatory uh, disorder on the plus side i'm not dying of fucking walter white disease so that's uh, that's, that's good that, yeah the doctor even said that like if i wanted some stronger um stuff i could go get some cocodamol from the pharmacy i'm a bit leery of that because it like um you're just turning into an 80s industry. yeah having said yeah. that get, getting or, addicted or a chopped and screwed hip-hop record yeah uh, having said that getting addicted to heavy strength painkillers would be really good research for the part of the rick Dozan novel that i'm writing at the moment <laughs> it, so uh... and it would help it would help you get into the headspace of just about every single performer we've ever spoken about on this show yeah it's uh, all, almost stanislavskian <laughs> it is it's very method Things and go. That's right, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. 
but don't you treat me this way, cause I'll be back on my feet someday. I don't care what you do, cause it's understood, ain't got no money, just no good. I guess if you say so, I have to pack my things and go. That's right, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. Evening. The most fantastic people in music 